My towels solved a problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wind dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. And now you get a six piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com Previously on The Pete Santilli Show. Ladies and gentlemen, for decades now, I mean, I can dig into the archives because I know them very well. Ted Gunderson, may he rest in peace, um, exposed a lot of what they did. Should, do you want me to expose them? Because right now everyone's coming away to a lot of this stuff. A another thing, the, the Nazis in the Nazi war movement that's going on right now, who started that? Who really, after World War II and Hitler was done, who actually took up the torch with the Nazi war movement worldwide? Who was it? Do you know? Here's the truth. Um, a lot of these independent media experts are saying, you know, they're choosing one side or the other. They're criticizing Israel or they're criticizing Palestine or, you know, they're choosing a side. Well, guess what? You're literally cheering for the same side because mm -hmm. this is what happened. Barack Obama's Muslim Brotherhood, all right? They went into the basement in Chicago of an outfit that had a sub-basement. And contained in the sub-basement was the documentation about the Muslim Brotherhood's efforts to build an intellectual community um, uh, that would build lawfare, that would build all these nonprofits, very sophisticated, uh -huh. but it was all for the purposes of overthrowing the United States and bringing in Sharia law. We loved each other big time. We love sharing each other's cultures, but ultimately, it's all about the American dream and the American family. It really is. That that just just disintegrates all barriers that they want to have to keep us divided because if we're united um, and the blacks learn about how to pull themselves up because it's a model that's colorless it's it's human nature you know that we want what's best for our family and he talks about this is this was my situation and it was really bad but we took care of each other what, what color does that have to do with None. Good. Okay, okay. I'll tell you anyway. You see, I've been thinking, okay, which is something that I do, you know, being vice president and all. And this, this is a thought, and it was mine. Why go back to Ant Island at all? I mean, you don't even like green. What? You're right. I didn't think it was such a good idea myself. Actually, it wasn't even my idea. It was Axel and Locos. They talked fancy to me. I got confused. Uh. Oh, 
Guys, order another round because we're staying here. What was I thinking going back to Ant Island? I mean, we just got here, and we have more than enough food to get us through the winter, right? Why go back? But there was that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. Ooh, <laughs> one ant. <laughs> You're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm. Puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Shalom. I want you to know before I start the video that what I'm about to say is very controversial. So if you don't have an open mind about what's going on in Israel right now and you don't want to hear something that might rattle your preconceived notions a little bit, I suggest you turn off this video right now. I'll wait. Okay, if you're still with me, that shows that you're open to listening to some facts and a timeline that points to a very disturbing conclusion. This isn't a video I want to make, and it's something that pains me. I, I had a lot of uh, inner dilemmas whether or not I should do I should do this video, but I feel like nowadays uh, truth and transparency is so important that I feel I should share it with you. So we're all trying to make sense of what happened on October 7th, which is Shemini Atzeret, some call it Simchat Torah, when we all know Gaza, Gazans came in and basically slaughtered a thousand Israelis and kidnapped a bunch, all in the matter of about seven hours. So what I want to do is revere, reverse engineer this thing a little bit to kind of help you understand why I believe that this was an inside job. First of all, we'll start with September 1st. By the way, everything I'm about to say, everything I'm about to say, will be backed up with actual links to news articles or video footage. And if you want any of any of my sources, I'm happy to give them. September 1st, the Israeli government confiscated the weapons of the security teams in the Gaza Belt communities. This was done against the will 
of those security teams in the Gaza built communities. Why that happened, nobody knows. Fast forward to September 10th. On September 10th, the Moetza, which is basically the municipalities of the Gaza Belt communities, received reports, they received reports, these are civilians, received reports of increased tensions on the border of Gaza during the Jewish holidays, which of course span from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Shemini Yatzeret, which is which was on Saturday. Those same heads of municipalities asked the army if they should cancel their festivities in light of the warnings of increased tensions on the border of Gaza. And what did the army say? They said, no, don't cancel anything. It appears as though we're heading into a state of calm. By the way, all links I will share as soon as I uh, have a chance to comment on this. Now, you can assume that the Shabak did not know about this attack, but that's highly improbable. I mean, Israel is probably the most advanced surveillance state in the world, and the Gaza border is probably the most heavily surveilled, and the Shabak, who somehow knew how about a guy who had corona in a toy store and tracked him all the way to a soccer stadium during the days of corona, somehow didn't who somehow didn't know about this massive attack planned by thousands of random Gazans on pickup trucks and hang gliders. Are you serious? Are you really that stupid? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, I have a bridge to sell you. Anyways, so then there's the theory that the, they're called in Hebrew Tatsbitanot, which is basically the command and control center. These are the people, mostly females, who observe, who's tasked with observing the Gaza border fence. They say, there's a theory that says that they were hacked or that, the, that, they, that they conquered the or that they blew it up before they could, uh, they blew up the equipment that surveilled. Well, that's BS, because there's actual video footage that I'll also share with you of those same uh, command control center operators reporting on the breach of the fence. The fence was breached in 15 different locations. And you want to tell me that the most highly advanced surveillance equipment on arguably any border in the world didn't pick that up, didn't report it. Well, they did, and it's documented. So don't believe that lie. Now, once thousands of Gazans on pickup trucks and hang gliders invaded Israel, which apparently nobody knew about, right? Okay, you believe that? Which apparently no one knew about. They had seven hours to kill everyone in their path completely destroy kibbutzim. Not only that, take hostages back to Gaza, unscathed, unopposed. Now, there are people who say, well, a bunch of battalions were moved from Gaza over to Judea and Samaria. First of all, that's BS. Second of all, okay, so what if they did? Do you know how long it takes a, an, an attack helicopter 
to to get activated and blow up any one of those tractors or pickup trucks or hang gliders that invaded Israel? Less than five minutes. And I know every I know all these things firsthand because I served on the Gaza border. Less than five minutes. It all could have been over. From 7.01 a.m. on October, what was it, 6th or 7th on Saturday, I believe it was October 7th, it could have been a five-minute, it could have been a matter of five minutes before the whole thing was upended. And instead they had seven hours, possibly eight, to conquer kibbutzim, kill thousands, and bring back hostages alive, unopposed. And there's many people who say, oh, well, this was just a breach. No, that's not a breach. I'm sorry, that's not a breach. That's an inside job. And if it's not an inside job, well, then that's even worse. Because that means that the IDF is the most incompetent military that ever walked the face of the earth. And now we're supposed to trust these people to invade Gaza? They're calling up thousands of reservists to invade Gaza? Under the command of a military that A, didn't see this coming, and B, is too incompetent to react to a, a bunch of pickup trucks with AK-47s invading Israel? You tell me which outcome is worse. What's worse? That it was an inside job? Or that the Israeli army is really this incompetent? Which one is scarier? You tell me. You tell me if you trust this same military to send in thousands of incredible Jewish souls dying to fight for this land into Gaza. And no matter how high their morale is, and it's high, and these are, these are brave warriors, but none of it matters if the people calling the shots are the same people who allowed the Gaza militia to invade Israel's borders, kill thousands, take back hostages completely unopposed. Like I said, this is not a video I wanted to do. This is not something, and oh, by the way, now America is coming with aid? Do you really think Israel needs American aid to fight Gaza? Gaza! Their most elite force, their air force is hang gliders, and their ground troops are pickup trucks. They don't even have a tank. And we need American aid to fight, Israel needs American aid to fight them? Are you serious? You don't think that there's anything fishy going on here? You really trust the IDF to send in all these reservists into Gaza, the same people who A, didn't see this coming, or the alternative, which is much worse, they're so incompetent, they can't even handle a couple of pickup trucks and hang gliders invading their border, killing thousands and taking hostages for seven hours practically unopposed and able to go back
human bonds truly. Freedom. Freedom. Without freedom, you can't be a Christian no matter what denomination you belong to. You can't be a Buddhist. You can't own a donut shop. You can't drive from here to Oregon. You can't be an American because that's what it's all about. And that's the only thing that it's all about. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's about freedom. There is a time to pray and there's a time to stand. started off the show a little bit different uh, because, well, first of all, that piece that you just listened to, uh, he is former, did I say good morning, by the way? Good morning. Jeez, don't let me get started. Huh? Don't let me get started. Good morning, our beloved viewers, our Santillians. Santillians, that's hilarious. You guys sound like you're living underground. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today is Tuesday, October 24th, 1776. I always have to mention that because you never know when I might have to just be plowing through my discovery. I'm like, what day was this? That's the main reason why I do it, by the way. And my discovery, what is that? I was a political prisoner. Um, you know, we got a lot of people that are being held uh, much longer than I was, but uh, I was the longest held journalist in U.S. history. Interesting. Isn't that, isn't that interesting, Deb Jordan? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now, uh, this morning, I said goodbye to Owen Schroyer. Can you imagine what we've become? Can you imagine what we've become? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, listening to both sides of this Hamas versus Israel, Palestine versus the Jews versus the Christians, and it's exactly what they wanted. It's exactly what they want. They want everybody arguing about stuff like that. Um, certainly can't have a, a peace deal, you know, between or a cooperate, uh, cooperate, uh, cooperative deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. You gotta, you gotta throw that into smithereens. But everybody that's arguing on either side, uh, one side wants to bomb the other. <laughs> okay. Um, Barack Obama supplied arms to one side, and then he's got arms going in on the other side. I say Barack Obama. Obama's the the front face of this thing. You're, whatever side you're cheering for, you're cheering for the same side. Okay? 
You're just a, a dumb lemming. I mean, if you choose one side over the other, just dumb, dumb. And they, they, they have disdain for you. They already know that. They spent decades funneling tens of millions of dollars to Hamas. They've been building underground tunnels. Um, you know, Israel going in and, and blowing up the top surface doesn't really do much. Um, they're so deeply entrenched. Um, they did a couple of probing shots uh, over the border into Israel, and they got massacred. They just got obliterated. They had to pull back. So, you know, what, what can we expect out of this, um, you know, from a quote-unquote war? We can expect a whole bunch of dumb people to just watch on and throw their wallets at it, um, unfortunately. Majority of the world, one, you know, everyone's going to take one side or the other, and then we'll get to a point. I don't know if they will. I, I, don't, I don't know if they will launch nuclear strikes. I really don't. I don't believe that. I believe that's, a, that's another hoax. I really don't think that anybody is going to be launching extinction level, you know, nukes. But you never know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm naive. Um, I just think that there's just too much money in it. Like, why would the uh, secret shadow government operate? So efficiently, so secretly, they get away with everything, only to in the end blow themselves up. Why would they do that? What's the, what's the purpose of that? I, both sides uh, are the same entity. Does everyone understand that? Do you agree with that? You know, Netanyahu sitting down with Biden, you know, knowing full well that Biden, Obama, Clinton, they've been funding, fueling Hamas, which Israel created. Money went to the Zakat communities run by Hamas, and then they bought weapons through Operation Zero Footprint that was put out there by Hillary and, and Barack Obama and John McCain. Um, that's on the other side. And then Israel has to buy arms from us, you know. So they're like double dipping. We get we get to make money on both sides of the war. That's like an old Prescott Bush scam. But by golly. So I wanted to begin. I wanted you to hear from uh, a guy, you know, from the IDF. You know, you could you could hear his um, Havana Kilas, right? Hava tequila, hava tequila. Do you think that's funny? Do I crack you up, yeah, Jordan? Yes. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Um, let's let's bring you on. All right. Yeah. What can we expect? What can we expect? I like Colonel McGregor. We're gonna hear from uh, Colonel McGregor here momentarily. I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to hear from him. We are not the America we used to think. Like, we're, we're, we're still like stuck on stupid and like against the <laughs> Soviet Union. But, but you know, you know what I don't like about the present day? 
is that everything that I heard about the Soviet Union, everything mm-hmm. that I heard about the Soviet Union, we've become. Indeed. We've become, you know, so sad. It's sad. And we got, we got people that, that think that, oh, we are America. We're strong. And yeah. Oh, compared to a bunch of freaking shoeless Venezuelans. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, we're powerful, you know. Did you see what Don Bacon said? You know, the anti-Trump guy, Don Bacon. <clears throat> he said <clears throat> he could not believe that people were, um, that people were so infatuated with and, and loving on Putin, right? bunch of you know siding with Putin Americans well who is and he said he said something about them having more political prisoners than ever before in Russia completely skipping over the fact that the United States of America has thousands of political <laughs> prisoners right now thousands yeah. If they're not in actual jail or in prison, they're incarcerated in their homes and their lives have been destroyed. I said a long time ago that... Cheers. Mm-hmm, cheers to you. I said a long time ago when all of this first started, we no longer have the right to point fingers at people like Iran and, and, uh, and the Soviet Union and China because we are just as bad as they are and isn't that the whole point you know aren't they all evil aren't all governments on the on the face of the planet right now evil right they are and you know so taking one side over the other in this uh is is mind-boggling to me as Christians were instructed not to become Israel's enemy on a personal level, okay? And I'm talking about an individual level uh, and that we are to pray for peace in Jerusalem. Doesn't tell us that we go out and shed blood or cheer on, uh, cheer on the war. We're supposed to do the opposite and pray for peace. And that's it, because the hell has no fury like God. And we all know where this is all headed, right? There are many factions to this. Uh, the people, they want to get all religions riled up. What a better way to do it, right? I mean, Israel is the center of worship of, of the same God the God of the Hebrews, right? That's the God that we worship. And it all centers around Israel. And it has become so cutthroat. Uh, You and I have lost good friends here in the last week or two um, because people are demanding that we take a side. We've always called out Israel um, for just being downright evil but the the nation the nation of israel yeah 
yes, not the not the Jewish people themselves, but the but their government, right, uh, and the way they're run. Uh, I mean, we've spent the last decade of our lives, Pete. Well, almost twelve years, over a decade, uh, calling out how evil our government is, and we've been called, you know, we've been called anti-government and extremist and just all kinds of terrible, horrible things, uh, it, you know, so there are people and we wanted to show that in Israel that are calling out, um, Israel for being exactly the same, their government for being exactly the same way. And the Bible says in the end that, you know, Israel will be so evil and so, such a, so horrible, their government, all right will be so evil and so horrible that he will have to come and personally straighten them out. And, and the goal is to um, get them on their knees confessing that there's only one, there's only one uh, king and there's only one kingdom and that's the kingdom of Christ. So if we are Christians, then, you know, uh, getting getting all riled up over all of and and one of the, one of the things that Jesus said was when you see these things happening, stay calm and do not be afraid. Right? I mean, I don't know how much more clear it could be. You know that we are to pray for peace in Jerusalem, and it does not mean that we are pro-Israel government. Or that we, uh, you know, and I'm definitely not pro-Islam. Uh, uh, that's never going to happen for me. I'm never going to be able to do that. It's horrible that children are dying. But I see a lot of propaganda in, in some of that too. No, most all of it. I mean, they're putting these children in front of a camera. Hamas knew exactly what was going to happen, Pete. They knew that they knew that uh, and and from what this guy was saying that we were listening to before the show started, Israel knew it too, right? They knew that uh, this was going to cause an international uproar. But there are so many things coming out of it. If you so disgusting. That if they you know. see if if you see how the veil has been lifted for us, right? Eyes to see ears to hear if you're paying attention the amount of people in our own country that go completely against the judeo-christian uh the judeo-christian uh religion that we have adopted in this country is breathtaking isn't it when you mm -hmm. see them hit the streets we're also ignoring the fact that uh, Antifa has joined them, uh, the LGBTQ. I mean, we're talking about people who burnt down cities just a couple of years ago <laughs> have all joined them. Our college students are now wearing Palestinian garb like it is the latest, the latest trend. You know, it's the latest oh, trend. Oh, yeah, there was some, there was to some wear girl. The, the Palestinian garbs. And, yeah. Yeah. And and there was a there was a little girl who was probably sexting somebody last night. 
Mm -hmm. uh, running down the hallway with her boobs hanging out, wearing a Palestinian scarf. You know what would have happened to her if uh, she was back there with Palestinians? It wouldn't have been the Israelis that would have been going after her. Mm -hmm. It would have been her Sharia law masters stoning her. Sure. She doesn't know that, though. You know? Yeah. And whatever happened to all the LGBTQ people, what's their position? Oh, they they are they are marching with the Palestinians. They are. They'd be, they'd be killed. For, well, here's what disturbs me. Pete. Right? All the homosexuals, what, what would happen to them? Well, they'd be thrown off of a building and beheaded and burned alive. That's yeah. exactly what would happen. Oh, yeah. But yeah. listen, here's what's really disturbing me. When I see all of these photos coming out in the past let's say film and and photos over the last decade, I see more and more people in the streets of the United States of America uh, carrying another country's flag. And I'm like, you know, these people are supposed to come to the United States of America and assimilate, and they are no longer Palestinians. Isn't that correct? I mean... Uh, you know, my, my heritage. You know what I have a problem with? What? Uh, the leftards will grab everyone's flag but ours. Yeah. They burn ours. Yeah. But they'll carry everyone else's. They're so prideful of mm -hmm. everyone else's. But it's really not that way. They're literally treated like Solalinskiites. Mm -hmm. They get whipped up into a frothy, you know, rabid. Mm -hmm. They, they, they got to... They got to come together on something and they're, you know, they mm -hmm. all wear their masks and they wave their Ukraine flags. You know, it's they amazing want nothing to, to do. me. They're anti-American. Listen, just to, just. When are we going to be, when is it going to be illegal to shoot communists? <laughs> just a year ago. Will it be? I, d I don't know. Oh. I, I think it may be, uh, I think it may be just the opposite that's going to happen. But, well, I mean, you know, what they're trying to do. But when you look at, when you look at in just last year, uh, when Zelensky came to the United States Capitol and they gave him a hero's welcome and they literally flew the Ukraine flag, unfurled the Ukraine flag in the, in, in the U.S. Capitol. You know, and, and when I look at the imagery that's coming out from all of these major cities, uh, what do I see? I see, you know, miles and miles of people carrying a Palestinian flag, you know. And, uh, you know, my family came from England. They came from Ireland, Scots, Scotland. They came from Germany. Um part indigenous and in, you know in my family i i've never seen one of my family carry a british flag and I, i've never seen anybody do it i've never seen anybody carry you know a german flag have you i mean i just have never seen that not even my grandparents and my great-grandmother when she was alive i never saw her carry uh I never saw her carry an English flag, a British flag, or the flag of Ireland. I just never saw that. It was the American flag, right? Mm. 
And so tell me where we're, where we're going here uh, in this country, especially when you have people in the United States of America en masse um, fighting absolutely 100% siding with a country that that is um you know i well palestine isn't a country first of all let me correct that it's a territory of israel it's a territory and you know when i i mean these people their culture is so completely different than what we are than what we are as americans our our culture is different it's the same thing i've been seeing all of these people come up from south america over our border they're not carrying an american flag pete they're carrying the flags of their homeland right mexican flags flags from argentina you i mean colombia you've seen it in mass and they're coming to this country and they're not assimilating anymore. They're not becoming American. What was the first thing your grandfather said to said when he hit the, the, the United States of America in 1964? Nobody was allowed to speak Italian anymore. Well, uh, well, they were allowed to speak. No, no, Italian, no. But- I mean, at the dinner table. Oh yeah, when well, we got together that. on Sunday, the whole family, everybody. He yeah. insisted that. Yeah, and it was a tra- was it was a train wreck. Most, it was better if well, they just spoke Italian. What was the most prideful? <laughs> I know, but he insisted that he everybody did. learn English. You had to learn English. Oh, absolutely. What insisted. was one of the what was mm-hmm. one of the first things when your mother got here mm-hmm. in 1964 that she was so proud of, Pete? And what was that? Becoming an American citizen yeah. and studying the Constitution oh and taking goodness. her civil and taking her civil test mm-hmm. so that she be, she could become and passing it so that she could become an American citizen. It's not like that anymore. They want to come here illegally. They don't want to become American citizens, but they want to reap all the benefits of the American taxpayer and carry the flag of their homeland, right? Did did your parents ever march in the street and carry the flag of Italy once they got uh, here? Well, we were Italian Americans, so it was different when you when you carried. No, no, I mean in protest. In protest? Yes, in protest of the country that they just came to. No. Did they pick up the flag of Italy and protest the United States of America? Never. 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 They never did. Uh, my my family was, they were very, very proud um, Italian-American. Mm-hmm. And there it is. There is no pride in what these people are doing, right? They're coming to this country. The... The floodgates were open with Obama. They set up cells of pockets of of Islam all over this country. And and now we are looking at, and believe me, I mean they are they go by they're communists really. Um remember Che Guevara went over there and uh he 
he helped train a lot of these folks on how to guerrilla warfare. That is a fact. And Cuba was very much involved. Russia was, and we're talking about uh, the, the Soviet Union at the time was communist and more communist, I think, than it is today. And they, um, they were also training them, right? And, uh, you know, they've been fighting this deck, this, they've been fighting this from, you know, the beginning of time. Uh, but these two entities, uh, the Jews and, and the Muslims have been fighting. Um, but the Muslims, you know, they, they needed help and the help was all of these communist countries that came in to help them, right? And train them, right? So of course they, they took, they, they took some of that, they took some of that on. 80% of Palestinians voted Hamas into power. Absolutely they did. This is why no other Middle Eastern nation wants them. They are a warring people in our scriptures. It tells us they were, they will always be a warring people and that they will be a stumbling block for the Jews. That's what the scripture says. And it is their battle. It is their battle. And as you know, we're, we're to pray for peace and we are to pray for comfort and all of those things. It is a very, complicated story, right? But I am not going to pick up the flag of Israel and I'm not going to pick up the flag in, of Palestine and wave that either. This is, this is a God thing as far as I'm concerned. It will be what it will be. It will be. And there's only one thing that can stop what is happening over there. There's only one thing, and as a Christian, I know that. And all of these people that are out there, you know, damning Israel and damning Palestine, you know, I got to tell you, in the end, God stands with Israel, and that's what happens. And those who don't come around uh, will reap what they sow and that is it that is it you know i'm not you know i'm like no i don't think we should be sending billions of dollars over there for israel i don't and i definitely don't think that we should be sending dollars over there for islam for for hamas but there that's where we are that's where we are you know i think we should push for peace as much as we possibly can and uh you know and we just keep praying for the peace to be in that area and that's all we can do because i've seen people ripping each other apart americans flying another country's flag right now right i keep expecting some of these influencers that i've been watching <laughs> to start um putting either the Palestinian flag or the Israeli flag in their, 
and their, you know, as their uh, biopic or whatever you call that on Twitter and, and Facebook and all these other places. I've seen a lot of them, uh, a lot of people uh, get to that point. And I'm like, going, listen, you guys aren't Israeli. You are not Palestinian. You're Americans. How about, how about you fly the American flag, right? I mean, we as a country right now, you guys are going to hear it. I listened to Tucker Carlson, his uh, episode number 33, and he was with McGregor. And he said it straight up. We cannot get involved in any war right now, especially one with Iran, because that's where all of this is being pushed to all of a sudden. The Iran, I mean... We cannot go to war with Iran. We will be in big trouble if we do because our military is so weak and the American people just don't have the stomach for it. They just don't. Even, even in the name of Israel, they can't, they, they can't, you know, it reminds me of like last week, the, the woman was talking about, well, we tried COVID and we tried vaccines and we, we tried all of these things as and the climate um, to create a crisis to get the American people on board, right? And none of it's working. So she was like, okay, so none of that's working. How about we create a water crisis? It's the same thing. We weren't getting, we weren't getting behind the war in Ukraine. Nobody was. Very unpopular, super unpopular. So none of none of that's working. So why don't we just create a crisis in the Middle East? You know, something something that's um, we've been free of now since Trump took office. Weren't we just saying a few months ago on the show? Wow, it's really weird that you know the Middle East has gone so quiet and we don't even talk about them anymore. And then bam, here we go. We're right back in the middle of it again. I mean, why can't people see that it's that, you know, the United States is, is on, is funding both sides of this and pushing both sides, you know, to create, uh, you know, a war that we have, you know, as individuals, we have no control over whatsoever. Hamas knew what Israel was going to do, right? And obviously, from the stories that we're hearing, and I think they're quite convincing, Israel knew ahead of time what Hamas was going to do and kind of let them do it, right? So what does that tell us as Americans who've been studying this is pushing us. for 12 years now? Over a decade. Can can we? Uh, I have to take care of some stuff here mm -hmm. um, while we're watching this. I want to play. I want to get right to the Tucker Carlson segment. Mm -hmm. What do you guys? It's important. What do you think? Hmm? Yeah, it's really important. I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna put that on. What do you think? Uh, I got to fix it. Hold on. Mm -hmm. 
Give me just a second. Don't we'll, you think it's disturbing, what though? What time do we have? 8.46? Can you imagine the war that has started between fellow journalists in this country and American citizens? Just the verbal war that has started between people that I know over, over Israel and Palestine. Can you imagine what it's like living in those two places? Every day bombing and shelling each other and, you know, killing each other and murdering each other off. Some people are really acting like this is the first time they've ever heard of Palestine and what's going on over there and Israel. Shocking uh, to me. Colonel like, Douglas hmm. McGregor, um, he's going to make a lot of sense here, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tensions but very few disagree with him, certainly not in private. They call, agree. Call so Logan. what would war with Iran No, mean? it's on well, Rumble, it's too. To it's on our end. Because virtually no one got, talking about it in huh? public is operating. Call, there it goes. Call there Logan and let him know I hit the wrong button. Okay, there it goes. Or is it not? Former Colonel Douglas McGregor is the CEO of our country, Our Choice, and one of the first people we turn to for analysis of events like this because he is interested in what happens to the United States. He joins us now. Doug, thank you. Uh, for coming on. Do you think that we are moving toward war with Iran? <clears throat> yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. Take for example, just on the economic side, about 20% uh, of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. Uh, probably 25% of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down two to three million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. But the point is that when we're looking at 10-year Treasury yields up over 5%. Oh, what, do you, where, are what are you referring to where? That the Fed where? has lost control. The economic side of the house is catastrophe. Okay, thank now you. Then when you look at the military side, you have to where? look at the arsenal of missiles that Iran possesses. And they can reach out 1,200 miles with Karen, great precision. 30-minute countdown uh, where? High-explosive conventional warheads that would do enormous damage. Can destroying she whole city blocks in places like Haifa, Tel Aviv, even Jerusalem, though I doubt they would attack Jerusalem. The, the bottom line We're is that we stream. need to think this through, mics? and everyone right now is emoting. There is no thinking anywhere, as far as I can tell. The only possible exception may be, amazingly enough, Mr. Erdogan in Turkey, who came out this morning and indicated he was willing to mediate uh, the dispute between Israel and Hamas. Whether or not anyone in Washington or Israel is interested in talking, I don't know. But if we could sideline Turkey and keep Turkey out of the fight, that would ultimately help Israel enormously. So what would happen to the United States if we followed Senator Graham's advice and just began bombing critical infrastructure in Iran? What, what would happen then? Well, all of the bases that we have in Iraq and Syria, unfortunately, where we still have over 1,000 Americans, all of those would be targeted, and this time they would target them accurately, and this destruction would be wholesale. I would expect trouble here at home and in the United States because of the open border.
Hezbollah has a very large operation in Mexico. There are no doubt many, many, many Hezbollah agents inside the United States. We can only begin to imagine the kind of trouble they could cause. The missile and space program in Iran is very, very advanced, as is their cyber warfare capability. All of these things would be brought to bear against us. But what's most important, I think, for Americans to understand is if we attack Iran on the basis of Hezbollah's alleged willingness to attack Israel if Israel invades Gaza, we will end up in a fight with Russia. Russia will not sit by quietly and watch Iran destroyed by the United States air and naval power in the region. And once Russia enters this, uh, it, it becomes much more than just a local conflict, maybe more than just a regional war. We haven't thought this through. We need to do that. And I doubt seriously at that point that the Turks would be able to stay out. The Turks are Sunni Muslims. They are the de facto leaders of the Sunni Muslim world. They have the largest armed forces in the region. They are in close proximity to Israel. They could move forces south through Syria very rapidly. And I'm sure Bashar al-Assad, assuming he even survives the opening of this campaign, would not obstruct them. So, so many questions, but just to back up one click, you, you described Iran's missile arsenal, um, but Iran is a country that's been the subject of very intense sanction regime from the United States, in, increased by the last president, Donald Trump. Um, but for a long time, how is Iran still such a powerful country militarily given those sanctions? It sounds like maybe they didn't work. Well, no, I think that's, that's an important point, Tucker, and you're absolutely right. We place so much value on these sanctions and assume that they have this profound impact. Normally, sanctions harm the population in terms of lowering its standard of living, making life more difficult for the everyday citizen but it doesn't fundamentally alter the policy or the goals and objectives of the government. And this is something that I don't think we understand. And the same thing is true for, for Hamas and Gaza. You know, you, you want to go after Hamas. You want to destroy it. I think everyone with a sound mind is interested in the destruction of Hamas. But do you want to kill hundreds of thousands of people in order to get at Hamas? That's the question. We have the same problem in Iran. Our sanctions have not harmed the regime's ability to develop and build very, very complex and sophisticated missiles. These missiles are very accurate now. There are hundreds, if not thousands. And the long-range missiles, the 1,200-mile range theater ballistic missiles, are a very serious threat to us in the region and to Israel. And the sanctions have had no impact there. If anything, the Iranians have pulled together the best human capital in their country, the best engineers, the best thinkers, and put them to work primarily on missile technology and on cyber warfare. And that's where we stand right now. We have to expect the worst as a result if we strike Iran. How is the U.S. military, do you think, having spent your life in it, leading troops in combat and at the Pentagon, position to respond to war with, with Iran right now? Are we in a strong position or not, in your view? No, I don't think we're in a strong position. I think we're probably at the weakest point in uh, our recent history. Uh, I think you've got to look at the realities of new weapon systems, new capabilities. 
the United States Navy, if it's going to preserve its capability at sea, is probably going to be compelled to operate somewhere north and west of Sicily. If it comes within closer range, then it falls into this envelope where the Iranians can strike it. And as I said before, we have to assume the Russians will come into this. Once you move into the eastern Mediterranean, you are vulnerable to the Kinshaw missiles and other missiles, cruise missiles and hypersonic missiles that the Russians have. This makes it very difficult to fly strikes in support of the Israeli Defense Force against Hezbollah, because now you're flying a very long distance, you deliver your ordnance, you have to land in Israel in order to refuel. Israel is going to operate under a hail, if not a rainstorm of missiles and rockets, making it very, very dangerous to do so. So our naval power, while substantial, may not have the desired impact on the ground that we would like. And then finally, we have no real army anymore. The army is down to perhaps, what, 450,000? How much of that is ready to fight is open to debate. Much of it is sitting in Eastern Europe right now. We, we don't have the means to rapidly ship a large force of 80 to 100,000 troops on the ground into the region, which means that we're reliant on special forces and right now 2,000 Marines and perhaps 2,000 special forces and special operations forces. That's not going to make much of a dent. And as we've seen quite recently within the last 24 hours or so, uh, some of our special ops forces and Israeli special ops forces went into Gaza to reconnoiter, to plan for where they might want to go to free hostages and, and make an impact. And they were shot to pieces and took heavy losses, as I understand it. I think that's where we're headed. And I don't see that as a win for Israel in any way, shape, or form. And I certainly think it's very dangerous for us. You know, as I've tried to point out to a number of people, until Britain en entered World War I, it was just a, another European war. Once Britain entered it, it became a global war. Well, once we are a co-belligerent, we enter this thing, it's going to be very difficult for Russia and Turkey not to also come into this fight against us because they will not tolerate the sort of collective punishment that Israel plans for Gaza. The U.S. military does have an awful lot of generals, however, as you pointed out, multiples of the number we had, the absolute number we had during World War II. Um, and they're paid to think about this stuff. It, why has it dawned on no one, apparently, who's spoken publicly anyway, that this, this, could, this could really harm our country gravely? Why is no one saying that? Well, I'm sure there are people in the U.S. military who are aware, but let's be frank. Uh, most of the people at the top of the military have never operated under artillery fire or rocket fire. They haven't seen direct fire combat. They haven't seen real war, per se. Remember, we've had the luxury of sitting around forward operating bases and striking opponents that were armed with AK-47s and command-detonated mines, occasional mortar or rocket. Very, very low-intensity combat. This is a high-end conventional war that we're looking at with the potential to go nuclear, which obviously... I don't think we or the Russians want to happen, but we have the wild card in Israel. They do have a nuclear capability. We don't know what the tripwire is for them to employ such a weapon. At that point, of course, all bets are off, and, and I think most of the world would turn against Israel. Right now, they just have to worry about the Muslim world against them. It would certainly widen if they went that far. <clears throat> this, there are too many unknowns and uncertainties here. 
And, you know, everyone always assumes at the beginning of such a conflict, well, it'll be contained. We'll only have to fight these people, Hamas, maybe Hezbollah. It never works out that way. These things always last longer than everyone thinks. The resources required are much more profound than what we anticipated. And remember, we've already used up many of our war stocks in Ukraine. And we've left Ukraine in a state of ruins. Places on life support, half a million dead. What are we going to do to Israel if we press ahead down this road? And it seems, listening to Secretary of State Blinken this morning, who more and more sounds like our Commander-in-Chief, that there is no room for negotiation, no room for mediation. Hamas must be destroyed. We must go into Gaza. If so, I think we're on this very dangerous road to Armageddon. What is the objective of the IDF and of, of Blinken, of the United States and Israel in this short term? I, destroy Hamas, but what, is, what does that mean? But, well, to destroy Hamas in the minds, I think, of policymakers in Washington as well as in Israel is to systematically root them out and kill them in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Now, let's be frank. When you go into an urban environment, you can't pick or choose your targets very easily. First of all, no matter how well-trained you are, you're moving into an area that is rubbled. There are ruins. It's very difficult to negotiate in that. When I say negotiate, I mean negotiate the terrain through the rubble. You don't know where the enemy is going to pop up. Once you destroy all these buildings, he can be anywhere. So you're going to take losses going in. But more important, once you start going in there, you're going to end up killing whatever you find. Because the soldier, the Israeli soldier, the American soldier, very much the same, they want to live. They want to survive. When in doubt, pull the trigger. They're not going to stop and say, now, wait a minute, before I shoot, I really need to think about this because that may be a civilian or there may be a family there. That's not going to happen. You can't expect that. So the notion that this is a, a, a kind of warfare that is so precise that it can void, avoid so-called collateral damage is just nonsense. We can't expect miracles from the IDF or our own troops, which means that you're going to annihilate everything in Gaza. And remember, the Israelis would like to push the population out. The problem is when you push the population out, if you did into Egypt, you're going to run into trouble with the Egyptians. But even if you manage to get them there, you're only moving the problem that confronts you 20 miles, 30 miles away. In other words, killing people isn't going to solve the problem. But it's very attractive at the moment, and it's very difficult to talk people out of it. Do you believe American troops will be engaged, physically present in the invasion of Gaza? I'm sure they will, because we have American citizens who are hostages. And we've already made it clear that we will assist and support the Israelis in freeing those hostages. Again. The problem is, how do you get the hostages out when you're fighting in this extraordinarily dirty and complex environment? What's to prevent the hostages from simply being executed as soon as you move in force into Gaza? I think the Israelis know that. I think our leadership in Washington knows it. They may have even decided that if that happens, that's tragic, but the ultimate goal of destroying Hamas demands it. Again, it's the issue of collective punishment. I would encourage Americans everywhere to listen to King Abdullah of Jordan's speech in Cairo just a couple of days ago, where he made it clear that he agreed with the, you know, the abhorrence of what had happened in Israel. And, and 
loathes Hamas for its barbarity and savagery. But he also goes on to point out that collective punishment meted out to two million people is unacceptable, both under international law and for humanitarian reasons. That's the problem. And as Americans see more destruction and more and more film footage and photographs come out of Gaza showing children, women, old men dying, being killed, the support for Israel is going to erode. And at the same time, the anger and hatred inside the region, which already dislikes Israel, is going to be phenomenal. So Israel is doing something that I think no one has ever accomplished, at least not in my lifetime, and that is uniting Sunni and Shia against itself. That's why I think we have an obligation to save Israel from itself, but that's not a popular position. Right now, it's bombs away and everyone is cheering. What about the argument often articulated, including by leading presidential candidates recently, um, that considerations like the ones you just raised, like the long-term effects of decisions or global public opinion, downstream terror attacks, thinking about any of that is a violation of principle and you're basically giving in to the terrorists by weighing any of it. How would you respond to that? Most politicians uh, follow public opinion. Right now, public opinion supports violence against Hamas, and if that includes the destruction of Gaza, so be it, we support it. Very few people look beyond that and understand the larger consequences. In the last century, I, I guess I should say, in the early 20th century, uh, the great powers intervened on more than one occasion to prevent Turkey from being destroyed. Not because they loved the Ottoman Turks, but because they saw the alternative being chaos. Turkey had a role to play. Therefore, we want to preserve it. We have to think about Egypt. Egypt has been a good strategic partner for Israel. They've kept the peace there for decades. The Egyptians are now in a very difficult position. At least 100,000 Egyptian troops have been moved towards the border with Gaza, involving several divisions. Under great pressure from public opinion in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, they may have to engage the Israelis because no one will protect the population in Gaza. That, that's a terrible, terrible possibility, one that we don't want, because if that happens to Egypt and Hezbollah attacks from the north, that will bring in everyone else. And we're suddenly confronting a war on a regional level that is going to harm us economically, physically in many ways, but could threaten the very existence of Israel, which I think is the root problem here. We don't want Israel's existence threatened. We want to save Israel. We want to keep it intact. But we may not be able to do that if this war runs out of control. And let's be frank, historically, wars run out of control. They move in directions you never anticipated. So if you think you can plot this, this route forward as Lindsey Graham thinks, you're crazy. Once this is unleashed, it's not manageable anymore. You, you uh, said a couple of, you made reference a couple of times to the American citizens being held by Hamas. What do we know about them? Well, I think most of them uh, are American citizens who happen to be Jewish, who are there to celebrate uh, during the holiday period or participate in this music festival we've heard so much about. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they ever anticipated anything like this happening. Yeah. The problem is, as we've said before, extracting them from this haystack. Is, is nigh on to impossible. 
Um, what about the concerns of about terrorism in the United States in the wake of all of this? Well, I think they're very valid. Yeah, I, I think these concerns are very, very valid. We've had open borders now for the last two and a half years, but we've had an illegal uh, migration problem for the last three plus decades. But we don't know who's in the country. We really don't. No one at home, Homeland Security can tell you who is here. The Europeans face something quite similar. They were bullied into admitting millions of Muslims from the Middle East and Africa. We've been bullied by our government to open the borders and let in effectively anybody who wants to come. So we don't know who's here, but we do know that Hamas, as well as Hezbollah, have positions in Mexico. Of the two, Hezbollah is much stronger, much larger, and much better equipped and financed. So we have to expect that once Hezbollah is in the war and we are against them and Iran, that much of our infrastructure will be at risk. Something as bad or potentially even worse than 9-11 could happen here. This brings us back to the whole issue of immigration and border security. We've essentially ignored it. The same politicians who are pushing for war against virtually everyone in the Middle East, which is what it boils down to in the final analysis, don't seem to have thought carefully about protecting us or our borders from all of the terrible things that we've seen in Israel. How much damage could these same people do to us in a shopping mall in the space of 15 minutes? It doesn't take much imagination to understand how dangerous this is. Do you think that this war, if it comes, and it, as, as you said, it seems like it is, um, how will that affect American domestic politics? War traditionally has been used by the people in power to shut down dissent. Can you imagine that happening in this case? Well, I think they'll try. Uh, fortunately, uh, thanks to people like Elon Musk, who uh, bought Twitter and ended the censorship or suspended it, uh, the truth does get through and reach Americans, but Americans will figure out pretty quickly if two things tend to happen at once. You have the, the war overseas and the war here, but remember the economy and the, and the financial condition right now. If you turn on any of the business channels for the first time in my memory, lots and lots of analysts are coming on and talking about the Fed having lost control, the rising interest rates, you know, the inability to manage and cope with the sovereign national debt of 33 trillion. And that's the tip of a proverbial iceberg. We already have Americans who are struggling with inflation anyway. Now we're looking at potentially scarcity. We've drained our strategic oil reserve for all intents and purposes. If the Strait of Hormuz is shut down, if the Suez Canal is closed, we're in a lot of trouble in the short run, that's for sure. How rapidly can we recover from all of this? How many refineries can we put back into operation? How much drilling can we do quickly? The answer is not very much. So draining that strategic oil reserve was a very serious mistake. But we'll be, as we become impoverished and chaotic and subject to these terror attacks, we'll be winning important moral victories, don't you think? Well, in our effort to stand at Israel's side and help protect Israel, we have taken a different route and cast moral turpitude to the side. In other words, how do you help one without committing a war crime against the other? This is the problem with collective punishment. 
This is the problem with annihilating Gaza and trying to sweep out its population. That's unacceptable to us as Americans. I don't think if you sat down any of Israel's most ardent supporters in the United States and said, are you willing to trade the lives of several hundred thousand people in Gaza for the lives taken in Israel by Hamas? After all, Hamas and Palestinian Jihad were the fighters. They lost 1,500. There were 3,000 involved in the several waves of the attack. They're dead. Now we're looking at perhaps 5,000 civilians dead. How many more will we witness? Is that somehow or another justified morally? And I think a lot of Americans will struggle with that. That's why I say it would be best if we had a cooling off period. I'm glad that the Israelis are waiting for additional naval power to arrive on station in the Mediterranean and also for additional equipment, theater ballistic missile defense and so forth. But we need to use this time to think carefully about how far we want to go. Because right now, it's a one-way street to regional war. I don't think anybody really wants that if they think about it carefully. Therefore, you know, looking at someone like Erdogan, however slippery we may consider him to be, his willingness to mediate is a bright light in an otherwise very dark sky. And we should look to that because we don't want the regional war. It will destroy us economically. We're already in bad shape. We've already suffered because of the foolish intervention in Ukraine to try to destroy Russia. Now we have Russia more powerful militarily than it's been since the 80s, and it's poised to enter on the side of Iran. We should all give that some serious thought. Last question. Do you know of any leaders in the United States, political leaders, the Pentagon, within the Biden administration, who are thinking clearly about this, which is to say who are framing their thoughts on it around what's best for the United States long term? Is anybody thinking that way? Yes. Yeah, yes, there are. The problem is none of them hold high positions in government and none of their voices or their analyses or their viewpoints are going to reach anybody in power. I think you have to listen carefully to what Secretary of State Blinken said. He was absolutely unambiguous. We are going to destroy Hamas, whatever that takes. That means regional war, frankly. And anybody who thinks that people are going to say, oh no, we're afraid of America, we're not going to risk that, they're wrong. They are not afraid to risk attacking Israel for fear of coming into confrontation with us. We are not the power we were in 1991, and they know that. Economically, mm. our position is very fragile, let's face it. So the bottom line is, yes, there are people out there, but they're not being heard, and they're not going to be heard in the current environment. Doug McGregor, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm is right. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So, that's some pretty raw analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have such mixed emotions sure. about the whole thing. Of course. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham is, um, 
Yeah. I mean, the next time we go to D.C., I think someone should go get him. Just kidding. <laughs> no. No, I'm no, just kidding. He's kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a waste of time, actually. We just need to turn their water and electricity off and just put up a wall. Mm-hmm. Them, you know, you know, there's one thing that we need to see that is going to happen here and what the outcome of this eventually will be, mm. whether it's in our lifetime or a lifetime <clears throat> of our children, surely to come. And that is is that they, you know, sooner or later, you know, the communists are going to start pointing fingers, and I've seen it already start happening. And they're going to be saying, see what religion does? <clears throat> see what see what comes out of Israel? We have Christians and Muslims and Jews all fighting each other, causing world war, causing devastation. We need to abolish it all. And we need to have a one world religion where everybody's included and nobody is allowed to, um, you know, to have a personal belief in, in a Hebrew God or this person or that, you know what I mean? This God or that God, everybody has to fall on. If you're going to worship, you have to worship the way they tell you to. And for them, they say, you know, that is going to stop all the world um, wars. Um, and we will, you know, everybody's going to live in a utopia that's pretty much godless, right? Mm. Marxism is all about that, by the way. I mean, Marxism dictates that you can, you can worship, you know, your whatever, whatever you want to, but you are not allowed to talk about it in public and you're not allowed to have a set church and all of those things. But of course, that's what Marxism says. But if they catch you in all of these countries, China, Iran, even Israel, I've seen it in Israel um, and, and Palestine and in the Arab countries, uh, Christians, they give Christians a hard way to go. It's the Holocaust that nobody ever talks about it. It is estimated that 70 million Christians have been slaughtered since the time of Jesus. And nobody ever talks about that, right? We don't talk about that Holocaust that is continuing to this day. Christians are slaughtered. They're enslaved. Uh, you know, they have to go underground in so many countries. Uh, so when are we going to start talking about that? And even in Israel, there are the ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel spit on Christians, throw stones at Christians. They do. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous to go to certain parts of Israel if you are a Christian. It is. And we never talk about that. So, Can I uh, listen to Nikki Haley? Yes, this is fantastic. Another uh, ramble rants over on uh, Twitter. We have to nuke them. We have to nuke them now. Annihilate. Till. 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 We have to nuke them. We have to nuke them now. Annihilate. Till. 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 <laughs> that's his. That's his idea and tradition of uh, of 
Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's uh, she's not running for president. She's running for CEO of Raytheon. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. She is. Yeah. Listen, um, all right, I want you to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through a series of videos here, okay? Uh, something very odd going on here. And you guys can determine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There it is. There's two videos that I noticed. And it's the same guy, right? Uh, this is called war propaganda, right? All right. Here's Mr. Now, now look at him, all right? Mm-hmm. See his face. Video shows Palestinian artist Mohammed Sami playing with children less than a day before he was killed in Gaza, right? They said he was killed. And you got the, ladies and gentlemen, you got the piano music. So, you know, you got to add that to it. That's, that's good uh, uh, war piano, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. You get a uh, uh, fat slob. Rashida Anagata Talib. Hmm? Saying, oh my goodness, the children, the children. There he is, right? You like the piano music? It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's you want, weird. You want to see what he was doing uh, right before everything started? Listen to him. So they're He's so happy because the missiles are flying. Aloha snack bar. They all reacted that way in the beginning piece. Freaking sand digger. These okay. people these people were celebrating. The beginning of this. We need to get him a shovel. And now they're now they're not. Dig some know? sand. He's a sand digger. Mm-hmm. Huh? Right? Yeah, Barbie uh Barbie sixty says y'all better worry about what's going on around you and not over there. I agree with that to to a big Yeah. I uh, you know. I- I have full situational awareness. I appreciate it. Don't direct that towards me because. No, I mean, listen, we are told to pray for peace in Israel, not to become on an individual basis an enemy of Israel. Do do I have full situational awareness? Yes. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to start flying the Israeli flag or the Palestinian flag. I'm just not going to. And. You know, their culture is so completely different. Somebody asked, uh, you know, don't these, don't the Israel, don't they care about, you know, the the hostages, I think they said, or the children, 
listen, their culture in America, we have a culture here in America, although it is quickly slipping away from us, we have a culture here that we, you know. Watch. That wait a minute, He has a culture, too. Yeah. That we live by. Mm-hmm. They have a culture that they live by, too, and it's called scorched earth, and they've done it since the biblical times. It's called scorched earth. They, you know, they, the Palestinians, Islam, Muslims consider it their duty and a great honor to be martyred, to die. They do. They do not fear it like Americans fear it. Right? We're so spoiled rotten here in America. We have been. We're, that's slowly, that, no, quickly now slipping away from us. You can't even walk down the street in America without being, you know, without being assaulted by somebody who is insulted by you. I mean, they, they're killing people now here in the streets of America. So that's changing too. We're slowly becoming that culture, you know. But I, I remember just a couple of months ago, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis was talking about doing missile strikes in Mexico and wiping them out. You know, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of conservatives say that kind of stuff. And I almost said the S word. But haven't you, Pete? Haven't you said, haven't you seen people talk that way? Right? Oh, yeah. Same situation. Are we headed for that with Mexico and Canada? You know, the, all these people coming over our border. We keep saying, and, and I've heard a lot of these influencers are now on the side of Palestine. I've heard them carry on about all of these people that are coming up from a, and crossing a thin line, right? And into a country that they consider they had it first. It was theirs to begin with, and we stole it from them, right? So all of these people are coming across our border. And I've heard all of these influencers who are standing with Palestine, you know, almost every one of them carry on about our border situation and how it's going to change our culture. Well, they don't think Israel has the same right, you know, or that any other country has the same right. I mean, they're killing children down on the border, aren't they? They're sexually assaulting women, raping women down on the border and in Texas, Arizona, California, all of these, all of these illegals with a different culture where they think it's okay to, you know, to rape women. You're allowed to do that in their country or their culture where they come from. They come to America and, oh my God, it's against the law. You know, you can't punish these people for, I mean, how many times have you heard that where somebody, excuse me, somebody who came here uh, from another country, a rape culture, came here from another country, a Muslim country, and raped an American, a young American girl or a boy, and, you know, nothing happened to them except for Maybe they got deported. Maybe they got deported. But they say, oh, we can't touch that because it's their culture. What about our what about our military who had to lay awake at night and listen to Muslims raping nine year old boys in in, in, on a military on an American military base? 
What about, is that really the culture that we want to come here? Because that is their culture. Mm-hmm. Children yeah. to Af- them, Af- you want to know the truth? Mm. Children are not really human beings yet because they're children. So they're not human beings and they're not boys or girls. So, so it's okay to rape them. It's okay to rape them and it's okay to send your kid to the front line, right? And be martyred. It is considered an honor. So I, you know what? I really, I mean, I'm listening to some of the people and they just don't know the their culture is different than ours. Right? It's like when I go to New York from Cincinnati, the culture in New York City is different than the culture here in Cincinnati. Don't you think, Pete? When yeah, they're a bunch of freaking communists. I was raised in the country, 40 miles away from Cincinnati. My culture and how I was raised is completely different than somebody who was raised in in the city. Let's let's learn something about their culture here. Listen to this. Listen to this. A Jordanian ولا يمكن لأي هدف أن تضحي بحياة إنسان هم يخافوا من الموت They are afraid of death Death for them is strange and loathsome Now he's talking about Americans here, right? No, huh? He's talking about Americans Israelis, sorry Israelis mm-hmm. Yeah, he says Essentially we're afraid of إسرائيل لا تضحي بشخص ولا يمكن لأي هدف أن تضحي بحياة إنسان هم يخافوا من الموت الموت عندهم شيء عجيب وكريه إحنا نرحب بالموت الفلسطيني بيحمل طفل على كتفه وفي عصبة على جبينه مكتوب عليها كاتب أبوه للطفل على جبينه مشروع شهيد مشروع شهيد يعني واحد يقول أنا بدي ابني يموت الأم تقول أنا بخلف ست أولاد مشان ثلاثة يموتوا في الثورة أنا بخلف أولاد مشان يروحوا شهداء هذا مش موجود في العقل الصهيوني يعني معركة غير متكافئة العزيمة الموجودة اليوم عند الفلسطيني لا يمكن أن يمتلكها لا يمكن أن تنتصري على من يريد أن يموت حلو اللي بيهرب من الموت لا يمكن أن ينتصر على من يرغب شو صار بألمانيا في الحرب العالمية مش في مدن تدمرت بالكامل ألم تصبح بعدها أحد الدول الخمس الأغنى في العالم يدمروا اللي بنا برجع بابني وإحنا أنا أعتقد أنه الهدف كان من عند أسود الأسود البشرية الهدف كان إنه هذه في بنيات بدنا ندمرها لأنه بدنا نبنيها منيح بطرق هندسية أجمل وبتقنيات جديدة بس هذا الحديث يصح دكتور طلال وإذا ما كان أمام كمان هذه هذا الكم من الضحايا المدنيين الأبرياء كم؟, كم؟ دكتور كم الضحايا؟ 
يعني في عنا عدد عم يرتفع لحظة بلحظة قديش ألفين يعني هلأ دايما في حصيلة عم بتكون يعني للأسف كم ضحت روسيا في حربها ضد النازية سبعة وعشرين مليون مش ألف مليون احنا لسه ما وصلنا الالاف روسيا حطت وضحت بقصد وبمعرفه مش بالصدفه ما كانتش عارفه انه راح يموتوا بدي يموت 27 مليون وتبقى روسيا وهكذا نحن الفلسطينيين موتي هلا في عندنا 2 مليون موتي واحد منهم واتمنى ان اكون انا واحد منهم شرف ان انال ان اكون انا شهيد هذا الان عندك مليونين بغزه هيقضوا على المليونين كيف يقضوا عليهم ما كم نصهم مخبيين تحت الارض في الخنادر اننا امام مشكله حلها سهل مش حيصيروا لاجئين لان لهم بلادهم وعندهم بسبوراتهم كلهم ما في ولا واحد من العدو ما عنده جنسيه اخرى طيب ما عندنا ازمه بنحل أزمة العائدين اللي مستني يرجعوا لبلادهم وهدول بيرجعوا لبلادهم لأنهم أيضا جاءوا لفلسطين إما مضطرين وأما أو مغرر بهم ما فيش عند اليهود عقيدة عندهم تطرف فلوس آه. عنده بس مصلحة أنا كان عندي صديق وزير ألماني فقلت له يعني هذا هتلر الله يسامحه لما أخل... أعمل الهولوكوست ليش ما كمل على بقيت كلهم قال لي لا لا بالعكس بس ما تقول لحد أني أنا قلت هذا الكلام هو عن قصد ترك مجموعة لحتى الناس يعرفوا ليش ليش عملنا الهولوكوست لما تدوقوا العذاب معهم هتعرفوا هتعرفوا سبب أنه إحنا أها سو Completely different culture. Completely different culture. I think been doing this for. He said we haven't even gotten to a thousand. We got two million. Look at how many, how many Russians were sacrificed. Twenty-seven million, right? Yeah. Um, that's the way. That I mean, they they. Isn't it interesting how he said they made the excuse? It's like, why didn't Hitler finish them off? Why didn't he finish him off? Well, mm. he says, you know, Hitler wanted to leave a group of Jews so that, you know, they could, that they could go on to, to prove a what? That, you know. Hey, look at, look at so this. So that they could go on to prove that um, they were as terrible as Hitler said they were? Is that what he's saying? Look at what Iranian TV is saying, all right? Here's a message calling Netanyahu himself Hitler. I love this resource, by the way, don't you? Yeah. Mm. Today we remember the six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. We remember the one and a half million Jewish children who never had a chance to grow up. We remember the one and a half million Jewish children who never had a chance to grow up. territory has served. We remember the one and a half million Jewish children who never had a chance to grow up. 
Holocaust is true, but not against the Jews, but by the Jews. You know what this is called? Mm. War propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you hear two things, you hear the piano or the violin, it's straight up intelligence services. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's what they're doing. By the way, speaking of intelligence services, if you're joining us right now, uh, our top news headline, all right? I mean, who are the most evil war criminals on planet Earth? Who are they? I'm going to ask you, Deb, who do you think they are? The most evil war criminals on planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably um, the United States. The Central Intelligence Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're out there uh, perpetrating war crimes. Okay. Um, they assassinated and used Ukraine intelligence services. This is, by the way, this comes from the Washington Post. Okay. You think the Washington Post is going to have a good source? The CIA murdered a journalist, Mm -hmm. Um, a non-combatant, right? Civilian is a journalist. Non-combatant. It is against the law to kill a non-combatant civilian. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Is this the first time that, um, uh, that the CIA has perpetrated assassination? No. No. Name a couple people that they've assassinated. Oh, I don't know. Your president. John, I was getting ready to say John Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Martin Luther King. Uh, no, nobody. Malcolm X. Huh? Presumably, allegedly, Malcolm X. Uh, Martin Luther King. I mean, who knows? CIA slash FBI. I guess you have to question every assassination you've ever seen. I mean, when it gets right down to it, you know, look at uh, look at the journalists they've done away with in this country. We talk about it all the time. Look at what they right? did to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but I mean, actually murder. Actually murder. Yeah, they... Journalists. They... And look what they did to Julian Assange, right? You know, sometimes, I mean, it sounds kind of weird. Um, they have ways to come back at you, right? I'd According rather be shot. Schumer. I'd rather be shot than kept in a box and fed baloney. Mm-hmm. You know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd rather be a shot. A lot of people who've been in your situation feel that way. It's the know? truth. It, it's the absolute truth. Um these are filthy, disgusting human beings. Uh, why would you kill a uh, assassinated journalist like that? Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Why would they do that? And most importantly, why? Oh my God! Oh, 
I'm so negative. I mean, you know, one so day you negative. might be out driving and your car just take over and slam into a tree. Mm. Or you might be walking home, right? Mm. And some two black guys might just come up and just shoot you for no reason whatsoever and not take any of your stuff and just you're going to bleed out on the sidewalk. Mm. Yeah. The CIA That's spent, in America. Yeah, the CIA has spent tens of millions of dollars on Ukrainian intelligence agency, uh, reportedly heavily involved in modernizing Kiev's intel services and using them against Russia, of course, right? So the U.S. Foreign Intelligence Service has been heavily involved in Ukrainian affairs since at least 2015, according to a report. The agency maintains a significant presence in Kyiv amid the conflict in Russia. The agency is, has provided Ukraine with advanced surveillance systems, trained recruits at sites in Ukraine, as well as the United States. Uh, they've built new headquarters for departments in Ukrainian's military intelligence agency. The CIA has been aiding Ukraine's SBU domestic intelligence service as well as its military counterpart, the G-U-R. Um, CIA-backed spies actually killed a, a Russian journalist, uh, Daria Dugina. Um, she was one of multiple killings carried out by the Ukrainian security service. Despite denials from Kiev, the Washington Post reported on Monday. The newspaper further claimed that the Ukrainian agency and its military counterpart, the GUR, have been empowered by the CIA. Right? So, so they're, they're out there perpetrating war crimes. By the way, if you're tuned into our show right now, um, I'm going to have um, uh, Dr. Kirk come on this morning in about mm -hmm. 20 minutes we're going to go over economic news and there's pretty significant news uh by the way on the economic front i want you guys um to get in the habit of helping us uh propel you, you know I, I i what is what is the best way deb jordan mm -hmm. to, to beg people to 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 participate in this thing, mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes I, I I just feel you know. I mean, I I show up to work. I get up early. What time do I get up in the morning? Mm, anywhere between three and four. Yep. I got up at two thirty this morning. Yeah, sometimes you do. Yeah. I I, I get up <laughs> uh, early in the morning uh, to serve our audience. I I, I feel an obligation. Uh, to, to do my part in this effort to help save our country. Um, sometimes I, I get discouraged, though. You know, it's, I, I have to speak honestly about it. Um, I think I said something to the effect sometimes it's, it's very discouraging to care more about fighting for everybody else's country. Than they do themselves. So, what what is the best way that I can actually get our audience members 
to physically participate in this effort uh, to help us propel information, share information, you know, I mean, clicking the rumble button, you know, I, I've been yeah, focusing on these little, these little things to get us uh, all in unison. But what, what, what is the issue? What is it? I think it's just, it's, we've always struggled with this. Um, but yeah, if we need, we have over 3000 people over on rumble right now, if you could please take just a minute, if you're listening to us right now, which I know you are, uh, give us a thumbs up, go over and click that thumbs up. It helps propel the show. And it puts us in. And click the subscribe button. Subscribe yep. to our channel. Um, subscribe. And guess what else? Yep. Um, you can click the notification bell for when mm -hmm. we go live. Because we will go live uh, when news breaks at any given moment. Mm -hmm. You click that notification bell and you will be notified. Uh, Rumble yep. now has that awesome feature. It is okay. a struggle for um, all of the content providers, not only on Rumble, but we had the same struggle too on YouTube, right? Uh, you know, uh, people come in and, you know, it's early in the morning. We're, we're an early morning show. So people come in, they're kind of still lethargic or whatever. So if you could, as a friendly reminder, please go over and just take a minute, uh, subscribe, click the thumbs up, and click the notification bell, which is something new. Um, so please do that. If you haven't done it already, we're asking very nicely. We need your support in that way. It really does help propel the show. It right? does. You'll, you'll push us um, <clears throat> right to the, uh, 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 the top 50 leaderboard. Mm -hmm. It's good free advertising. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I doubt people are afraid. That's a conversation that's being had. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so they kill um, these this journalist. Yes. Okay. So tell me, in our remaining moments, exactly. You know, um, was she was she a Wapo journalist? No, she's a Russian journalist. Russian. Uh, yeah. Was she working for Wapo or something, or did they just? Put that out. Oh, I guess they, the Washington Post was the first ones who, who uh, exposed this. She was killed by a car bomb just outside of, um, just outside of Moscow. Mm -hmm. Daria Dugina's father, Alexander Dugin. So uh, Ukrainians killed her in Russia. Yes. So she wasn't an on the ground person. She was just. Mm -mm. She was, she was picked out. Yep. She was targeted. Yep. Ah. The brain. Okay. A philosopher and Russian nationalist. Mm hmm His name is Alexander Dugin, right? Mm-hmm. And he was her father. Okay. So they killed his daughter. <laughs> okay. I see. You understand what's going on? So here? what is the proof that it was the CIA? Uh report put out <laughs> by the by the CIA. <laughs> the Washington Post, huh? Yeah, but I mean what is The Washington Post got got a hold of this this information. This isn't even Russian propaganda. This is the the Washington Post put this out. Yeah, I know, but what is I haven't read the article. So uh -huh. how what how did they come to the conclusion 
that it was the CIA. Because the Ukrainian intel services said that they basically work at the behest of the CIA. Ukrainian intelligence was behind the killing of Russian war blogger. Uh, additionally, Maxim Bowman, best known uh, by the pen name Vladin Tekarsky, uh, sources told the Post, Washington Post. So the two blogger, journalists. Yeah, two, yeah. Um, the blogger was killed in April in an explosion at um, a cafe in St. Petersburg where he was holding a meeting with readers. More than 40 people were ruined in the blast. Much of the report was dedicated to the CIA's investment of tens of millions of dollars in the Ukrainian special services. The U.S. Mm. agency created an entirely new directorate in the SBU while the GUR was reportedly rebuilt from scratch for American goals. A former U.S. intelligence official who worked in Ukraine called the military agency our little baby. While Washington helped build a new GUR headquarters and taught tradecraft to Ukrainian agents, the Washington Post wrote. The CIA is legally banned from participating in political assassination operations. And according to the Post, Ukrainians keep the U.S. in the dark about any such plans. Mm. Of course, no documentation of such things, right? Mm -hmm. Best way to do it, because it's illegal. So just keep quiet, right? That's the way we operate. We continue to let them exist. Why do we? Hmm? I don't know. I can't even get people to click the thumbs up button. <laughs> you know? Click that thumbs up button. But hmm? yeah, I mean, why, why do, why do, listen, the CIA was supposed to be a group of elite intel people. So we just jumped up 100, by the way. Who? Good. Thank you so, so much, everybody. Yeah, you guys, go ahead and click that. Um, all right. Oh, guess yay. What? Uh, everybody. Uh, You're right, my superhero right right today now, if you okay, click the we're gonna, thumbs up. We're going to put uh, this particular clip out, all right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask everybody right now that's sitting there, You're, you know, you're you're sitting there hearing me right now. We've got 3,000 people rotating in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to we're gonna plow this thing up to the top of the leaderboard on Rumble. Rumble is the fastest growing video platform in the world. It is. You're literally going yeah. to put a billboard at the top of Rumble if you believe that the CIA needs to be destroyed mm -hmm. by any means necessary including Netanyahu bombing Langley. That's what he should do, but he won't. But uh, if you believe... No, because he's part of Langley, no doubt. He's part of Langley, yeah. No um, doubt. Do you believe, uh, just click that, that, that thumbs up button, if you believe that both the CIA and the FBI are two of the, the most evil, murderous, false flag creating war criminals on planet Earth. Click Amen. that button right now. We should have at least 3,000. And they're rotating in and out. We'll probably have, you know, 70, 80,000 people by the time uh, the show is all said and done. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so click that button. 
We're going to get ready for. Thank uh, you, Dover. Dover 1958 says, I'm over on Locals, but I came over here just to hit that thumbs up. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Yeah, and if you're a local supporter, thank you very, very much for uh, for everything that you guys do. Oh, my goodness. I like, we, I, we I so really like it. Uh, the chat room over there. There's. It's a good one. So that's another yes. way to support us. You can go over to Locals and, and subscribe you. over there. And jump in that chat room over there. It really does help us out a lot. All right. You want to hear uh, another thing that the CIA is doing? Oh, my goodness. Hmm? Is it more dastardly than killing? Uh, yeah. Than, than training Ukrainian? It is. Ukrainians to kill yeah. Russian reporters? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You want to hear what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, while you're while you're sleeping how are you finding all of wait there it is ready mm -hmm. this is on my favorite podcast right here and that would be redacted hmm? is it redacted no sean ryan mm -hmm. <laughs> yes yeah. I, I see i know your habits watch how are you finding all of this out years of research the McDonald's Corporation just had a, uh, an ad come out a few months ago that they're looking into research and development in a technology that will afford them the ability to pump their commercials into your brain while you're sleeping. <laughs> so yeah. I, said, I said, is that true? Yeah. Uh, What'd you find? So I went to look it up. Mm -hmm. And guess what I discovered? What did you discover? Ah. Uh, here it is. There's details behind the effort. Here it is. You ready? Alleged tech McDonald's was used to push ads into your dreams during REM sleep cycle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. McDonald's, uh, the world's largest fast food chain, is reportedly working on a new technology that will allow it to push ads into your dreams during REM sleep. According to a viral rumor, the alleged science behind how this technology might work is even more creepy than it sounds. How does the alleged technology that McDonald's will use to push ads into your dreams during REM sleep cycle work? According to sources, McDonald's is developing a device that will emit sounds and smells that are associated with its product, such as the sizzling of burgers, the crunching of fries, and the aroma of coffee. The device will be activated by a smartphone app that will detect when the user is in REM sleep using sensors that monitor brainwaves, eye movement, and heart rate. The idea is that the sounds and smells will influence the content of the user's dreams, making them more likely to dream about McDonald's Or wake up like super hungry for McDonald's, right? The device will, yeah, the device will also record the user's dreams and send them to McDonald's for analysis and feedback. And if they catch you going to Burger King, they're going to use the app to uh, to turn off your pacemaker. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Well, they already do that. Like, they have the sleep apps. This is crazy. Um, they, crazy. It, you put it on your bedside. Because I used it for a while, it it literally records you while you're sleeping and does sleep analysis, uh, like how many times you had apnea, 
how many times, and, and it can literally tell when you are, and how many times you talk in your sleep. How about how many times I kick the But here's shelf. the problem. When I used it. <laughs> what? It picked up you talking in your sleep. It <laughs> thought it was me. And you it, talk in your sleep all night long. I do. All night long. What do I say? Yeah. Oh, just, it's always about, it's always political about the show. Yeah. It's all, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> It was a big one for you. You're always talking about Hillary Clinton. Always? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, organizing. And I mean, you're just, you never stop being on the show ever. Not even in your sleep. But you do. You talk all night long. And, and sometimes you'll flail in your sleep, right? Like you'll get like overly excited. Yeah, I'm fighting but, in my sleep. Right? But, but that's what, the, so I tried to use the sleep app. And I'm not I'm not a sleep talker. Very seldom. I think maybe I have a few times that I know of that other people have actually said, "Oh my gosh, you were just talking in your sleep." But you talk continuously. But the sleep app it it can tell when you're in to REM sleep when you start waking up. You could see you could see where you know you start waking up, and it all goes on your breathing. And, and all of that stuff. It's pretty scary, really. I stopped using it. I was like, wow, this is, this is a little too invasive for me, right? Yeah, it's invasive. But they're already out there. You say it's invasive for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. For I'm you. hitting your app. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, because you, cause you And you just told the whole world what I talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Tell everyone that I kicked the shelf oh, yeah. the other night that's across the room. Scared realm. the heck out of everybody. Dogs went running, mm -hmm. hiding. Huh? He's got this tall shelf on his side of the bed. And I did karate. And he sleeps sideways in the bed, just to let you know. He sleeps sideways. And he was dreaming and kicked, kicked out and kicked that shelf. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't you guys, believe it. Stay right there. Uh, Dr. Kirk will be connecting at a certain point here. And then uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about economic news. Don't go away. Make sure you bash that rumble button. If if you can't stand the, the CIA, hit it.
Using QUX tokens for private and secure encrypted transactions. You control the ads you watch. You control the content you see. You have easy access to products and services you want, all at the press of a button. QUX brings people together, enhances fellowship, community, and networking capabilities, while protecting privacy like never before. Don't wait. Go to QUX.TV right now and order your QUX TV box today using promo code PETE. Be part of a new digital frontier. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. My towels solve the problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wind dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. Ever. And now you get a six-piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com are you prepared for life's unexpected twists and turns? Lockdowns, natural disasters, power outages, or any situation that makes it tough to get your hands on a good meal. Time waits for no one, and neither do emergencies. PetePrepStore.com is the ultimate in long-term emergency food preparedness and supplies. You're not just buying food, you're buying peace of mind. Our meals are designed to be nutritious, delicious, and have a 25-year shelf life. Yes, you heard that right. 25 years. We source high-quality non-GMO ingredients and use advanced freeze-drying technology to lock in taste and nutrients. Forget last-minute runs to the grocery store. Pete Prep Store is a click away and delivers right to your doorstep. Why risk the well-being of you and your loved ones? With Pete Prep Store, you're always prepared. Make the smart choice today. Visit PetePrepStore.com and place your order today. This isn't just food. It's your lifeline in times of crisis. Don't wait for an emergency to prepare. Be proactive. PetePrepStore.com. Be prepared. Be secure. Be ready. Always. Our American heroes love getting down and dirty, fighting for our freedoms and safety. 
My fellow Americans, the Hero Soap Company is a veteran-owned business with quality soaps and scrubs made in America for the benefit of our American heroes. Each bar of handmade soap is blended with a mix of essential oils, real goat's milk, saponified oils of safflower, palm and coconut, and all natural colorants. Place your order today by visiting MyHeroSoap.com for a 20% discount. And for every purchase, a portion of sales is donated to charities focused on helping veterans and first responders. Visit MyHeroSoap.com and subscribe for 20% off with promo code KEEP. Every soap purchased is matched one-to-one and sent overseas to our troops. Go to MyHeroSoap.com and order your soaps, scrubs, and even cool Patriot gear. Support our troops. Support our first responders. Support our heroes and let freedom clean by visiting MyHeroSoap.com. Cardio Miracle is the finest and most comprehensive nitric oxide and vitamin D supplement in the world. Made from the highest quality ingredients, Cardio Miracle is driven and backed by science and committed to your health and well-being. Get your 60-day, no-risk, money-back guarantee now at CardioMiracle.com. gentlemen uh each and every tuesday uh, we we need to do like um a show every single morning because the world changes so rapidly but in between tuesdays i'm joined uh by dr kirk elliott um we put a special segment out mm, how do i say this this segment is not i just want to open up right away and say that it, it is not us that is trying to propagate fear in the marketplace. Uh, it's not us. But awareness, uh, I would say the greatest fear is is not knowing what's going on. And then the black swan shows up. And there's really no such thing as the quote unquote black swan. You know, the event that you could have never seen take place. Everything is prefabricated pre-manufactured um, and then it is up to a select few individual at the top of the food chain um, you know to basically skim all the profits off of the top and go for the last grab as they can while everybody else is left holding the bag there can be no doubt about it uh, that we are experiencing a reset of biblical proportions I would say um, yeah, smooth me over, Dr. Kirk. Uh, never before in human history have we been in this position where, you know, fiat currency is just falling apart. There needs to be something on the other side because fiat currency with, uh, you know, without asset, uh, asset backed, um, currency is it's unsustainable. Uh, the, the, the accrual of debt in the, 
you know, um, in the fashion that we're doing, this is all unsustainable. Where does it break? Well, it seems like the powers that be are trying to break away from this thing, but uh, there will be a significant event to cause us to say, oh my goodness, we could have never seen this coming. Everybody take our new tally stick, you know. Um, but never before in human history have we been so vulnerable like this. Is that is that pretty safe to say? Yeah, that's safe to say. I mean, what, so I think what you said is spot on. So then we have to ask ourselves, so what's the trigger, right? What's What's going to be the trigger that causes a move away from fiat currencies, away from governments losing money hand over fist. I mean, just just this morning, Pete, I was I was reading about the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world. You know, which is the government the government fund for for a country. Well, it's it's Norway. So Norway has oh, I think it's one point two trillion, one point four trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund in just the third quarter. Just the last three months, they lost 34 billion. Right? So, okay, and and its asset classes across the board are coming down, fueled by inflationary pressures and rising interest rates. Right? Because with with oil now, the oil prices going to rise should actually help Norway because they're a huge, massive oil producer. Mm. Um, but and because of the Israeli um, Hamas conflict, uh, oil is is expected to absolutely shoot through the roof, um, which people think, oh, this is going to be amazing, right? As you, you want you want oil to go up because that's going to help Exxon and and Chevron and all these companies, right? Well, no. Here's where I think this is part of the collapse um, of of the Western financial system as we know it. And when you take one step back to look at the few steps moving forward that we're going to be experiencing, I think mainstream media doesn't cover this enough. Um, they're actually not talking about it really at all. And that's the the rise of the BRICS nations, right? Mm -hmm. It's like some people get tired of talking about it, but it is a big deal. I think that is the pendulum shifting moment that, that you're referring to, right? And which is going to cause system systemic banking failures across the world and actually a change in the world's reserve currency a change in the petrodollar all of that right so so the reason i i say that that is so important um is when you look at putin's comments from from that meeting on august 22nd through the 24th they're de-dollarizing the world and i think this all starts to happen on january 1st so January 1st, six of the nine largest oil producers in the world enter the BRICS member nations, which for all intents and purposes eliminates the petrodollar because it's such a massive trading block, right? It's it's almost 70% of the world's population now using their own currencies rather than the US dollars. Because if it were some two insignificant countries, let's just say French Guyana and Suriname, just two random countries that, that made this this bilateral trade agreement that says, oh, we're going to trade in our own currencies and not the U.S. dollar. You know what? Nobody would care because it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. But but when it's 70% of the world's population, it does matter, right? So now you add into this mix um, of Putin de-dollarizing the world, taking away the, the oil-producing countries, 
of the world and adding them into their mix, right? So, so now add into this the Israeli-Hamas conflict, which three days ago, um, Allianz, the, the big massive European insurance carrier, their, their basically investment arm said that, that they think oil is going to hit $140 a barrel because Ooh. of this conflict. The day after the conflict, other research showed that it's probably going to hit $150 a barrel. So let's still just call it 140. Let's take the low end um, estimate. Well, if if oil is 93 a barrel right now and it goes to 140, I mean, literally that's that's up over 50%, you know, during this conflict. And what is gasoline? It's refined oil. So imagine the price wherever you live, um, the price at the pump going up 50%. So if you live in California, and and it's over six dollars a gallon on average. <laughs> um, that puts it at nine bucks a gallon, you know, because of this conflict. Well, good grief. Well, what about other parts of the country? I mean, it's it, oil gas prices are high everywhere, but imagine a 50 plus percent increase. This is gonna be devastating to economies, especially us, because we're not oil independent. We are still reliant on foreign oil. With just, I think this is all part of Putin's grand design, is by adding those those oil producing countries into the BRICS nations. If the price of oil goes up because of conflict, because of export controls on Russian oil, because um, OPEC limiting production to really cause the price to go up, the recipient, the oil producing nations, received the largesse from that price increase, which now six of the nine largest oil producers in the world are part of the BRICS nations. And who are they receiving money from? The United States, mm. by and large, because we're still dependent on foreign oil. So they shoot us down while they actually receive a huge benefit. This is the paradigm shifting moment that I think is going to really start to kill the, the U.S. dollar. And we're only a couple of months away from that. Truly, we're only a couple of months away. It's almost like the calm before the storm, even though it's it's getting bad, I don't think we've seen bad yet. Then you factor in, uh, well, infl- uh, the, the, the rise of um, uh, the price of oil, um, well, it was intentional, obviously. What, what did Biden do? He uh, shut down the Keystone Pipeline on day one. So that's that had a reverberating uh, effect. Um, Inflation plus the debt. I'm understanding that our, this was a phenomenal figure. I was blown away by it. I didn't know because we have to pay interest on the debt when we borrow. Mm -hmm. It's like almost, so like like pushing almost a trillion dollars. What is it? Seven, 700 billion. You know, you're you're starting to edge up a trillion dollars. It's doubled just in two years. Mm-hmm. The interest on our debt. Now we take in how much in taxes? We we take in about four trillion dollars a year. Four trillion and twenty five percent of that's going towards interest payments. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you match that up? And I, uh, you always hear, uh, well, the full faith and credit of the United States. You know, we have to pay back our. We're bankrupt, sir. I mean. Your full faith and credit spiel used to be great before. We say that it, we were saying that it was unsustainable, but are we not bankrupt? 
Well, we are um, bankrupt. So here's here's kind of an ugly an ugly scenario. So mm. when you look at the debt to GDP ratio, mm-hmm. which is what is our what is our gross domestic product? Well, it's um, what is our GDP right now? I so our debt is thirty almost thirty. Four trillion, you know, thirty-three point something trillion. The gross domestic product is probably twenty-eight trillion or twenty-seven trillion. Mm-mm. So that puts our debt to GDP at one thirty-seven percent, one hundred and thirty-seven percent. So I remember, uh, good grief, Pete, doing doing some conference speaking, doing shows like ten years ago. And and the debt to GDP ratio was pushing above 80, 80. Mm. And I was signaling warning signs then because when you hit 100, when the debt equals your production throughout history, the odds are not in our favor. So if you were a gambling man and going to Vegas and these were your odds, <laughs> you, you shouldn't go because 100% of the time when your debt surpasses gross domestic product, mm. um, there's some kind of a change, a big change, change in money, a change in the way that the government runs right from a democracy to a dictatorship, dictatorship to something else. There's a change because it's impossible. No country has ever actually recovered from that, like ever a hundred percent of the time. Mm. So, so you're approaching that, you're approaching that, approaching that. Then you hit a hundred. It's like, dang lights out. No country has ever actually pulled back from that. And it's because at some point, the cost of servicing your debt is what cripples you. You 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 fall from within, right? The weight of the entitlements, the weight of the debt, um, crushes an economy. And we're now at twenty five percent. Well, we we went past a hundred. We're now at one hundred and thirty seven percent. So the the clock is ticking. And I, I'm not that I'm betting against America. No, I'm not. I, I love America. Yeah. I want you know. The dollar I'm to really glad you, you brought this up again. Another Santilli interruption. Um, I don't tell me how I know about loan sharking. I used to be one <laughs> when I went in. I, I was uh, I went in the Marine Corps with nineteen thousand dollars in the bank when I was a kid. I, I that was my my life. That's a lot of money at at nineteen years old. So I used to you know lend money to people that you know spent their money, uh, you know, one week into a two week pay cycle. But my question to you is the, okay, so you're not giving up on America, but a loan shark right now, I'm, I'm thinking loan sharking because uh, there are countries, like why are countries lending us money? Why is China continuing to lend us money? And I'm saying to myself, loan sharks would do that saying, we know you're going to fail, and we have to put up collateral for that. I mean, what? How does how does that work at that level? Like, China would make a great loan shark, saying, "We know U.S. is going to go belly up, and we'll take their stuff." Right? Yeah. Same principles. I mean, so, so why would a country who hates the other country, who knows that it's a bad bet, continue to put money into it? Well, because they still own a ton of of u.s treasuries i mean they just went under a trillion dollars is what they own so if they just let the u.s go belly up right away well they lose a trillion dollars 
right? Because the they're, that's the amount of U.S. Treasuries that they still own. I think it's like at nine hundred billion. So, so they don't want it to collapse right away, or else they just lose a trillion dollars. So it's almost like the shell game of let's let's minimize you know bare bones minimum what we can put in so the U.S. Treasuries don't collapse, even though we don't want to because there's better use for it elsewhere. We don't want our own investment to to fall apart. Right. So it's it's kind of that game that I think that they're playing because, I mean, I don't believe for a second that China has any affinity or love for America. I don't think Russia does. I don't think, you know, half the world does. Right. So so why would you keep buying U.S. Treasuries? Because you you're actually when you have that kind of clout like China does, you don't want the U.S. Treasury to fail quite yet until you give yourself time to get rid of all of the U.S. treasuries that you own or else you shoot yourself in the foot. Mm. So I think that's the weird game that they're playing right now. It's this balancing act. But but they know that the clock is ticking. We know that the clock is ticking because 100% of the time when you go over 100% debt to GDP ratio, um, that, that country doesn't last in its in its current form. Well, what's coming up? Like what's right underneath our nose right now? So... I think that another big trigger, you know, you started off the conversation with, you know, triggers that could change our fiat currency system oh, yeah. is a big economic collapse, right? So so I think we're really close to one. And and this is why I think that. So weird leading economic indicator that nobody would think is a leading economic indicator, but but in, in layman's terms, I think this is a really good one and something that everyone would understand. And that's looking at cardboard box sales, right? So <laughs> weird thing to look at, but but we're heading into the holiday season. So retailers across America make 80% of their entire annual revenue between Black Friday and Christmas, 80% in, in one month. I mean, that's that's a lot. So if I were a business owner, it's like, well, does it make sense for us to shut down the 11 months of the year and just be open during holidays, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you'd cut all those expenses. That's not obviously how it works. You have to stay open all year. But but so if you were Amazon, you know, one of the largest shippers in the world, you know, retailers selling stuff, they need cardboard boxes like nobody's business, especially during the holiday season. So does Best Buy, so does Walmart, so do all these places. Everything gets shipped in a cardboard box. So when you look at the number of cardboard box sales over the last month and a half, they're down 79%. Is that true? In, in, wow. in a month and a half. Since the beginning of the year, it's down 82%, right? So so there's no cardboard boxes being sold. Why are there? Because there's no purchases because the retailers don't think that they're going to sell a lot this holiday season. See, if if you were a CEO, Pete, well, actually, we own our own our companies, right? But if you're a CEO of a of a big retailer, why do you want to buy a bunch of cardboard boxes that are just going to sit on the shelf when maybe within the next 12 months you change your logo? So cardboard boxes have tanked? Tanking. I mean, wow. literally down 80% wow. over, the last, over the last month and a half. Month wow. and a half. So this they should be gearing up for the holiday season when 80% of their revenues come in buying all the cardboard boxes that they can. So this is why I think this is a huge leading indicator that nobody actually looks at as a leading indicator because mm. what happens? What happens if the retail season from Black Friday to Christmas stinks? Well, what happens in January? 
people get laid off because it's 80% of retailers revenue. Yeah. It throws them six months out, right? mm -hmm. Easily. Yeah. So come 2024, add this into the mix of it's an election year. Um, Generally during times of crisis, uh, economic malaise, you know, can't feed your, your kids, uh, losing your jobs, wages are coming down. Um, people will willingly give up their freedoms. I mean, they just sadly will. It's like, hey, government, fix it, whatever you want. Just just make sure that you keep feeding my family. The problem is this is an election year. So you're going to see politicians everywhere promising money that they don't have to get votes. And this is when people will vote for them to say, yeah, if, if you give us more Social Security, if you give us more of this, you give us more of that, sure, I'll vote for you, right? And this is a time when we're having an election season in one of the worst economic catastrophes that the world has seen, mm-hmm. complete um, market collapses, um, economic collapse. It's just, it's a paradigm shifting moment. Now add to that the rise of the BRICS nations taking away petrodollar status, which means we're gonna have to print our way out of it, which means interest rates are gonna have to rise to slow that down. I mean, this is this is a, I wouldn't say it's a black swan because we're seeing it. We're talking about it. Black swans, you know, mainstream media says, well, this is a black swan event that's probably waiting to happen. It's like, you don't understand what black swan means. Black swan means it's unforeseen. Nobody saw it coming. We can see this collapse coming because it's happening right underneath our our eyeballs, right? And so so you, you look at that and you think, man, what else could possibly happen in 2024? Well, now we've got war. Now we've got in oil prices going through the roof, which is going to impact everything, Pete, everything, because everything uses petroleum. Uh, when I say everything, it's like even the, the greenest of green energy electric vehicles has has petroleum-based products in their, in their rubber dashboards, in their rubber tires, their plastic dashboards, their, the grease that lubes their wheels. I mean, you can't Shoot, get away the food, the food industry. Right. Yeah. You, Rel- yeah. Relies upon. Absolutely. I mean, we've got foodflation. We've got oilflation. We've got wage reduction. Right. This is this is I mean, you can remember the Carter years because they were awful. Right. Huge recession, rising prices, rising interest rates. The economy stunk. I mean, one of the worst economic presidents that this country has ever seen um, It was Carter. Did I ever He's tell you the story the about one. my dad screaming? In we were in line. Remember the the oil crisis, and yep. and the uh, the guy back in the day, you know, they didn't have an electronic board. He had a stick with a suction cup on it, and while we were in line, it went from forty seven cents to fifty two cents by the time he got up to the front. My dad was screaming in line, forty seven to fifty two cents a gallon. In I line, mean, yeah, right. I mean. And then people would get up to the front of the line and it was rationed, like only a couple gallons you yeah. could take. I mean, it yeah. was it was bad, right? So so Carter has got to be the only person on the planet that's like cheering, right? If we if were still coherent, right? It was like, I'm, I'm not the world's worst president anymore. Oh. Biden is, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because yeah. he had, he had that prize for forever. Now he doesn't. Now, Carter was not the world's worst economic president. Biden is. Biden is, and, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. 
Now, look at George Soros. And I, I wanted to ask you this question because we heard about George Soros, who he's got a lot of money moving around. I mean, you know, his hedge fund and his Open Society Foundation. Uh, he's uh, They just made an announcement. He's set to scale back his operation by as much as 40%. Is that a canary in the coal mine? Or is it because he's... I mean, you can't say that it's because he's transitioning. I heard one other economist that I didn't agree with said, uh, no, that's just because he's transitioning uh, the business to his son. No, when you scale your business back like that, 40%, that's significant. Uh, is that the canary in the coal mine when somebody, you know, the big money movers, Warren Buffett, you know, George Soros, they're, they're starting to go uh, bearish, aren't they? They, they are. See, here's the thing about multi-billionaires like that. Their succession plan is is well lined up, right? They Soros wouldn't have given the company to his son if he didn't think his son would do a good job. If he didn't think so, he would give it to somebody else. He's, he's going to be very agnostic about it, right? So, so I think his son's very capable, going to handle the Soros empire like Soros would, right? So, so to me, it's a scale back. It's they don't they don't want to lose money. They know what's coming, probably because they're planning it, right? They're planning the destruction of the economy, so their banking regime can come in, and global control, people control, central bank, digital currency, all of it, right? So, so I, I think there's any any big billionaire like Warren Buffett, um, Elon Musk, George Soros, you name them, when they start scaling back. It's because they don't expect good times ahead. Like Elon Musk was scaling back on the production of, of Teslas, right? So it's like, why in the world would he do that? Oil prices are going through the roof. You think the demand for electric cars would be off the rails amazing? Why would he be scaling back? Well, because Elon Musk isn't stupid. And he realizes his Tesla cars are quite expensive, right? So they might be the best of green energy, most energy efficient vehicles on the planet. They get away from petroleum, right? But but nobody's going to be able to afford them. So you got to cut back on your production, got to cut back on your employees. So they get it. They know that something big and ugly is coming. Um, I would say that the bond market is really, really smart, Pete. Um, bond market knows things about the economy right so so here's why i say that I, I mean i don't mean to personify the bond market but it but it's a very intelligent market i don't know why it's you know where stocks the stock market i would say is unintelligent in the sense of retail stock investors they they hear jim kramer shouting on tv and they think oh well, we better we better buy apple we better buy google we better buy meta we better buy this like right now you know, because they hear a 60 second sound bite, they don't research it. They don't look at anything. They just will act on it. Bond markets are, are more long term because interest rate cycles are very long, more sophisticated markets. So when I look at the bond market today, we see something that shouldn't actually be happening. And that's an inverted yield curve. So so imagine Pete, if, if Pete Santilli is going to buy a house, you go to your mortgage guy and say, hey, um, I'm buying this house. What's the rate on my 30-year mortgage? Well, it's going to be 8%, Pete. Well, what is it on a on a 15-year mortgage? Well, we can probably get you for 5.5%. I mean, that's normally how the conversation would go. Hmm. It's like, well, man, it's a lower interest rate, but half the term, it's like it's going to up my payments. So 
why is the 30-year mortgage a higher interest rate than a 15? Because there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknown elements of risk in that. It's like, so if I were the mortgage banker, I would be thinking, be asking these questions. Is this guy, Pete, is he going to have a job 30 years from now? What's inflation going to be? What's the housing market going to be like? What are interest rates going to be like? What what is unemployment going to be in America at that time? What's it going to look like? What's the economic landscape 30 years from now? Almost impossible to answer because we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? So because of that uncertainty of down the road so far, a 15-year mortgage is going to have a lower interest rate because there's 15 years of unknown variables that, that go away, right? So, so normally, short-term bonds have a lower interest rate than long-term bonds because of that time frame element. However, right now, we have an inverted yield curve, which means short duration loans actually have a higher interest rate than long-term ones. It's like, so what does that tell us? Well, as, as we look today, it's, a, it's even Steven, right? So last week it was inverted, today it's even. They're both at about 5.1%, whether it's a 15 year, 10 year or 30 year. Well, what does this inverted yield curve thing tell us? It tells us there's immediate danger on the horizon. Yeah, right, right, right. Mm. And and in 30 years from now, whatever the problem is right now, they're probably going to have time to fix it. You'll be offsetting it on, on the other side, down the road. Yeah, right? they'll fix it in time. But but if we're going to lend out money right now and we're expecting something imminently bad to right. happen, right. well, then you're going to have a higher interest rate for right now. And whatever that problem is, they'll have time to fix it. They have decades to fix it and they'll get it done. So long-term bonds are going to be a lower interest rate. So what are they expecting to happen right now mm. that we would have a yield curve like that? Well, mm. your guess is as good as mine. That's a great explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have war in Israel. We've got yeah. rising oil prices. We've got wage reduction. We've got rising taxes. We've got inflationary pressures, interest rates rising. We've got political chaos like nothing we've ever seen. The, the stupid GOP is can't get their act together and figure out who's going to be Speaker of the House. Well, should it be Scalise or should it be Jim Jordan? Or, well, maybe we actually find somebody who can actually bring unity to both parties and have Hakeem Jeffries be the Speaker. It's like, what? Some, somebody who's possibly more liberal than, than Nancy Pelosi? And you think that's going to bring unity? I mean, I can't believe these conversations are even being had, but it's like, there's so much uncertainty right here, right now, let alone Russia, Ukraine, let alone now basically conflict in the South China Sea. What's China and Taiwan going to do? Right. There's a lot of problems right now. Um, and add to that the BRICS nations thing that we already talked about that starts January 1st. It's like, oof, if we're lending out money right now and and here's here's another problem. The, the Fed, oh, so sorry about the that. European, the European Central that. Bank and the Fed are both saying higher for longer, right? Higher interest rates and for a longer period of time. So even though they're saying we're pausing, what are they pausing at? A higher interest rate. They're mm -hmm. gonna raise interest rates and then pause them for a while. So we're gonna be stuck with these high interest rates for quite some time. We're, where if you're hearing the words, we're going to pause interest rates, they want you to hear that message thinking, we've won the war against inflation. We're able to pause rates. We don't have to raise them anymore. They're going to keep at them a higher high rate. at a higher We're rate. pausing them at a higher rate. 
So this is actually very damaging to the economy moving forward because they know they haven't won this war on inflation. So here's where it starts to get squirrely. Where did they pause them? They paused them at the last rate hike. And so you'd think, okay, interest rates, they're paused. They're not going to go any higher for right now. Mm -hmm. Not true. Wells Fargo, all mortgage lenders, interest rates right now in a 30-year mortgage are at 8%. Eight. They kept going up even after the federally Federal Reserve officially paused rate hikes. Well, why? Because they're lending out private money, their money from their shareholders, from their own income, right, at these big banks to lend out for mortgages. And they're thinking, well, yeah, at least the Fed paused rate hikes. So at least the federal funds rate is like 5.1%. But we're going to keep raising in the secondary market interest rates because we don't think we're getting that money back. So so rate hikes are still coming, but it's not official rate hikes. It's market-driven rate hikes, and this is what they can't slow down. And this is what the Federal Reserve is so scared about is what does the secondary market think about the economy? What are private lenders like Wells Fargo, Citibank, Bank of America, Chase, U.S. Bank, what are they going to do? Even though we paused rate hikes, the economy still stinks so bad under Biden's economy that they're going to keep raising rates and it's going to actually kill the markets. This is even after the Fed would determine that they're going to actually pause rate hikes. So the fact <sighs> that they pause means nothing to me mm. because in the secondary market, they're in private money, like with these banks, that they're lending out their own money. They're going to keep raising rates because they know that the economy is bad. This is why we're in for a, a weird, wild, wacky ride in 2024. Okay, so so their monetary policy is the hedge against what they expect to be coming in the short term, which is going to create the disaster in the short term. You're gonna, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's not even a vicious, you know, uh, chasing your tail scenario. Their policy to cover themselves is going to create a reason why they have to cover themselves. Yeah, that's 100% Self, right. Self-sabotage, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, then is that intentional or is it incompetence? No, I don't. I don't think these these people are incompetent. I think when when you're a PhD economist, you've got some brains, right? Now, you might not agree with their policies because you have a different worldview, different ideology, whatever. They're globalists that want mm -hmm. to destroy systems that are so they can bring in a new system, right? So I don't think any of these people are incompetent. I don't think that they're stupid. Now, I might think that they're evil. <laughs> um, difference between being evil and being stupid. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think they're stupid. Um, you, you look at what they've done so far with the World Economic Forum, with the IMF, with the Bank for International Settlements, with the Federal Reserve, they're getting their way. They're creating a world that they think that they want. Now, I think that's ultimately going to backfire on them. I think their pride, they're going to overreach and, and they'll ultimately lose um, because you are going to have currency systems that establish themselves that are tangible backed currencies that have accountability, that have a reality to them that gets away from the fiat based money system that you started this show talking about, right? I think there's going to be alternative systems that rise up, but yet you don't get to where you've got by being stupid, right? You get there by being evil and taking away people's freedoms, taking away their ability to buy or sell when they want to. Um, that's 
complete disregard for for human dignity and human rights and the ability to spend your hard-earned money the way that you want to. That's what they're after. And I think that's awful. But I don't think that's stupid. Mm. I don't think you get to that point by being stupid. You get there by being devious and being yeah, but if, but if you and I, let's say you and I were, uh, uh, you know, the two, two guys running the Federal Reserve in this big, echoey sounding, you know, marble chamber, right? And we, mm-hmm. we'd be saying, let's get this money moving. You know, we, I mean, that that's going to have a direct positive impact on the economy. Let's get these corporations, you know, cheaper money, get, get it going, go. Get them, get them, as a matter of fact, make it so that Let's make them an offer they can't refuse so they can get, you know, take a little bit more risk, you know, because they're they're clamping up a little bit. When you want to get money moving, um, these rate hikes and increases, that's going to cause a retraction. And, and it is causing a retraction, is it not? It's causing a retraction. Higher interest rates and we're shackled with debt always causes a retraction. So what frees it up? What what do you think? I mean, not, not that you're going to have any control over it. We're seeing it happen. It's going to have a detrimental impact on it. We know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, Shoot, where does this go? We're talking like this is like right on our front doorstep here, right? Right. That that inverse yield curve, that was a great explanation for me because I I didn't have a full grasp on it. Yeah. Um, Um, You know... So this, this is like isn't gonna turn, this stuff. isn't going to turn around quickly, Pete. Mm-mm. You know, a lot of people that I talk to think, "Oh my word, we need Trump in office tomorrow, and he's going to fix it overnight." It's like even if Trump came back as president, one of the best economic presidents we've ever had in this country, even if he were to come back tomorrow, Biden administration has done so much economic damage that it's going to probably take a year or two just to get back to zero. All right, yeah. so. Yeah, it's just going to take a long time because what needs to be done? So let's talk about what needs to be done. It's like you buying need- an old house with really bad plumbing. You know, are you going to call Roto-Rooter? You're just going to gut the joint and replace it with new new piping. I mean, things have just gotten that bad, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, really, really that bad. Um, so they need to lower taxes to increase people's bottom line, right? So they spend more. You need to stop printing so much money because that's the only thing that'll stop the inflationary pressures mm. right so then when you when you stop the inflationary pressures you can start lowering interest rates now when the cost of borrowing comes down when prices come down when oh. when your bottom line goes up because mm. taxes are lower now you can start creating jobs again mm. this is what we had during the Reagan years which which Bush and Clinton that followed Reagan were actually really smart. I'm not saying that I agree with the politics, you know, either one of them really, but but what happened was Reagan had such good economic policy to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So, mm-hmm. so they kept Reagan's policies and Reagan's economic policy spanned multiple presidencies. Trump only, only had four years, right? Th- then they changed his right away um, to go to this more communist globalist you know superstructure that turned back the clock on what trump did good but both trump's and reagan's policies were almost identical lowering taxes lowering interest rates creating jobs instead of what we have now raising taxes raising interest rates to slow down inflation they're creating by printing money out of thin air and wage reduction instead of job creation 
It's absolutely the opposite of what needs to be done. So to fix that, none of all of those policies need to actually change. And that can't happen overnight. That'll take some time. Huh. All right, sir. Um, right now with, okay. And then we've got the war scenario. Uh, by the way, that situation, I'll have that. We'll make sure we get the uh, telephone number out to everyone. And post-production, I'll have that fixed. So we'll make sure we get that right. But um, um, the war right now is going to cause uh, 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 the, the petrol market to go crazy. Mm-hmm. What about uh, precious metals? Be- because there's that, that what is it? It's a, it's a seven-legged stool, but three that really matter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See, here's the here's because the crypto is exploding right now too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. it is, and and everything is going to go through ebbs and flows, right? And so, uh-huh. if you're a chartist, like if you're looking at charts, yeah, you're looking at specific entry points. It's like, how can I get every ounce of blood out of this turnip, right? And so, but to me, um, not necessarily a chartist because I don't care about. I'm not a day trader. Right. I I look at the fundamentals that cause market moves. And if the fundamentals are in place, yeah, you're going to have two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. So general rule of thumb, when fundamentals are in your favor, you allocate into that and know that, man, I, I, I bought gold or bought silver and it went down the day after I bought it. It's like, so what? It's going to take two steps forward and then another step back. And then so so but the fundamentals that cause growth in any tangible asset that's debt, not debt-based, right? Because here's the thing. When you've got inflation, groceries, cars, oil, gas, gold, silver, all things go up with inflation because they're things. (laughs) Inflation measures the price of things, right? Mm -hmm. Now, real estate is a thing. True. It's a thing. It's a tangible asset, Um, but it's a debt-based one. People have to finance most real estate. They, they, They can't just go out and write a $500,000 $500,000 check for a house or whatever, you have to finance it. So when wages are coming down and interest rates are going up, that that acts as an anchor on something that should go up during inflationary pressures because real estate's a thing. But when people can't afford to buy that thing because they're financing it, price of real estate's gonna have to come down to entice buyers to buy yours, right? Mm-hmm. So now when people are losing their jobs, they have to get out of their houses you're gonna have excess inventory, you know, not enough. There's there's more supply than there is buyers. And so that's gonna cause competitive reduction in the price. So you can be the first person that sells your place, right? So, so real estate kind of defies that rule of thumb of things go up with inflation because you have to finance it to own it. And it's a function of two things, wages, uh, actually three things, the demand for the, the real estate, uh, wages, and interest rates, you know, so there's, there's more than one factor there, but, but overall you want to protect yourself during these inflationary times, invest into things. That's why I like gold and silver. So I would get in as soon as you can. I'm not really the chartist guy that's, that's giving you an exact pinpointed number on when you should get in and when trends are going to turn and go this way and that way. Um, fundamentally, I would, I would get in. Now, if you are a chartist, know this, when your price point that you're looking for hits this point that you want and the fundamentals are already in place, sky's the limit, right? So so this is where I would actually allocate into safety because the fundamentals, 
that cause growth in gold and silver, the same fundamentals that cause stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate to come down, right? So, so it's like, okay, I want to get out of the thing that's coming down mm. and get into the thing that's going up. I don't really care about the prices. I care about safety and allocating into that safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been uh, even over the past several days. Uh, you know, so, somebody was uh, so. Uh, you know, when I called Doctor Kirk, what uh, you know, what does he, what, you know, what does he do? How is it? Asset preservation. Everyone needs to protect their nest egg, especially as you get you get older. You've been working. You can't. You know, if you're 20, 30 years old, you can blow money and recover it and make it back again. You 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 you, you can afford to make mistakes per se if you get it wrong. Uh, when you start. You know, getting towards retirement, you can't afford to be taking losses because it's going to, you know, the, the, the time it's going to take for you to recover. So asset preservation is what you do, right? Yeah. 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 It, being in the right place at the right time, the majority of the time, minimize risk, maximize return. We do that by by putting together different puzzle pieces. The political one, the economic one, the social one, the spiritual one, putting them all together that helps paint a big picture as to where we are, because every investment that we ever have, Pete's going to either grow or shrink because of legislative policy, because of policies coming out of D.C., right? So when we add all of that together, this is where we can start to minimize risk, maximize return, be in the right place at the right time by identifying the fundamentals that cause growth or shrinkage in certain markets. Mm -mm. Okay, so somebody calls 720-605-3900 because everyone is like starved for information. What do I do? Where do I go? Where do I go? That introductory call, schedule an appointment, get a consultation. And every individual is different. It's not like you can just broad stroke and say, all right, everyone, you know, that uh, uh, wears a blue hat. You know, we're going to have a because uh, so, everyone's got different shades of blue, right? your yeah. individual circumstances and uh, call 720-605-3900 or go to com forward slash Santilli or Pete, right? Or Pete, either yeah. one of them work. Yeah, or Pete. Sir, thank you. Um, thank you so much once again. Um, the, the bricks you said January 1st, just final comment here because there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of buzz about the BRICS nations, uh, how solid are they in implementing what came out of their last meeting? You're saying January, they're gonna do a full implementation with their... Uh, so, yeah, so in August when they met, they added two of the oil producing countries right away, which are biggies, Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates. Um, then come January 1st, they're adding Iran, which interestingly enough, Iran is the one who just pushed OPEC to cut production to cause rates, you know, oil prices to start jumping up. Mm. Um, I think they're starting to flex a little bit, saying we're we're proud to be part of this BRICS consortium, right? Um, they're flexing. So you had Iran, Ethiopia, Egypt, Argentina, and some other country, right? But they've already added um, UAE and Saudi Arabia into the mix. So the other ones, though, come January 1st. January 1st. Sir? Okay, everybody. Uh, 720-605-3900. You don't charge for the consultation, right? No, free free consultation. Okay. Um, and we will see you again next Tuesday. 
May God bless the United States of America. Uh, we don't know what to expect, expect here in the coming days, especially with the stuff that's going on uh, in the uh, in the Middle East. But, sir, thank you very much for, for joining me. I appreciate it. Great thank pleasure. you. Yep, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, definitely, definitely tune in this afternoon. We've got some great uh, special guests uh, coming up in the next couple of days. And about 3.30 or so, uh, we will have... Uh, our locals chat fired up. We're still working through some uh, technical reconfigurations here on the audio side, but you'll still have access to our our, our backstage um, our backstage access. That well, actually, hey Deb Jordan, did you know uh, somebody told me to keep my mouth shut on the on the on the back uh, the back line because they're their consumption pleasure was being disturbed. Did you know I got yelled at? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it's actually something kind of cool that a lot of um, uh, a lot of our local subscribers like to hear is the back chatter on the on the back line mm -hmm. during the breaks. But during the when we're playing a video such as with uh, Colonel McGregor, I apologize uh, for doing that because everyone was so enthralled by what he was saying. Yeah. But, um, um, if you could. I'm going to set a goal here going into, can't believe October's over, just yeah. beyond me. Um, we're going to set a goal for locals' subscriptions. We're going to do some Q&As with our guests, um, General Flynn being one of them. Uh, he's going to be one of our first, Dr. Kirk and Craig, they're going to join us for, you know, uh, economic type stuff, Q&As. We're going to do Q&As with our guest, General Flynn. Uh, he, as of right now, we're tentatively scheduled for November 5th, uh, trying to coordinate that way. But I mm -hmm. want you guys, it's going to be subscriber only uh, for that interaction and chat uh, with our, our guests. But you guys know that we have some of the best guests on planet Earth. We're also we do. this close to getting Colonel yeah. McGregor. Uh, on as well, mm -hmm. and many other exciting guests. So Q&A's interaction with some of our best guests, it'll happen if you're a subscriber on our Locals channel. If you subscribe annually, what happens annually? If you subscribe annually, you get a free MyPillow 2.0, right? 2.0, yes. That's right, uh, or a $45 donation, but if you... Uh, it's a mm -hmm. 45 you get uh, three months free. We're giving away free pillows. We're doing whatever we can. We're trying. We're trying our absolute darndest mm -hmm. uh, to get your attention. So be sure mm -hmm. uh, to subscribe to us on Rumble. Click the, that notification bell. Uh, subscribe to us on Locals. Help support our efforts so that we can continue uh, to, uh, did I say continue to grow? We're not growing. We're stagnant. Mm. We're growing. Uh, huh? Yeah, a little incrementally we are, yeah. Yeah, and belly, button, belly button Lent. Yeah. <laughs> right? I have faith. I have faith. Yes. Yes. I have faith. Yes. Okay. I always have. You should. Yep. All right. We'll be back at, um, at about 3.30 this afternoon. All right, everyone? Yep, tune in to LFA.
yep. here on Rumble yep. to see the Santella Report at 4 p.m. Eastern. Bye, everybody. Click that thumbs up button over there at Rumble if you want the CIA to be pulverized by directed energy weapons in their loins. What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. That's a good reason to do that. Click that Rumble button.